dry run podcast the podcast where we try out different topics different formats week to week just kind of see what sticks uh my name is sam i'm here alongside nathaniel and tim hey guys yep so we got something special in store uh this week we are trying out a a different for our first format rather um, we're gonna do it, this format is movies we missed. We're gonna watch movies that we had uh, the three of us have never seen before, and we actually have a theme for that. But I have a little audio cue ready here to uh, kind of tease it and lead <laughs> us into our themed month of movies we missed. <laughs> here we go. We missed some movies. <laughs> we hope you missed them too. I forgot there were so many bubbles in this That, of course, is the opening notes to the Monster Mash. Is that like what we're allowed to play? (laughs) No, 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 no. So opening notes to the Monster Mash, made popular by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Keepers, his backing band. Um, So, yeah, it's October. The Crypt Keepers? The Crypt Keepers, yes. Oh, Um, the T, okay. So... It's October, guys, and so our themed month of movies is going to be a little spooky. We're doing a monster movie month, and I know what you're thinking. Based on our first episode, we were talking about werewolves and stuff like that. You're thinking we're gonna oh do my. we're gonna do the Universal's classic monster universe. Oh, ho, ho. which boy, are you mistaken? Frankenstein's yeah, and the like, you. Dracula's. Nope, we're actually doing. Monster Movie Month, where we focus on the monstrous people in Hollywood that make the movies that we watch. Because the monster, the worst monster is always the human. It's always the the, the person. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we're kind of going to watch these movies and then at the end uh, discuss if we're able to separate the art from the artist on the particular feature we were watching. Spoiler alert, it's and, pretty hard. And... Uh, yeah, so we're we're just oh yeah. <laughs> so we're just gonna do that, and I think I think the way to start maybe is just kind of open up by maybe our, our our first thoughts on um, if we're able to separate the art from the artist, and I suppose before that I should say this week's film, which is L.A. Confidential, and the monster featured in that film is none other than. Kevin Spacey. Um, so we're gonna take a look at Kevin Spacey, the allegations against him, discuss the movie we the watched, guy, that guy, and see if we are and able. I really hope we're gonna insert some audio from those very strange tapes he did after he got fired from House of Cards. Ooh, yeah, yeah, uh, those were those were uh, pretty pretty iffy. Perhaps yeah. we're certainly gonna touch on those in a little bit. Yeah, um, but yeah, you you might have thought that we were doing American Beauty, but we've all seen American Beauty, so you know that did not make the cut here. Yeah, like I said, movies we miss. We've seen 
American Beauty, the 1999 classic, and LA Confidential. I'm, I'm a big fan of noir, but it's one that I missed. But uh, before we get into all that, um, let's kind of just talk about separating art from the artist. And since we're doing a month of movies, it would probably make sense to discuss musical artists that have been outed as these bad people, monstrous people, and are people still able to listen to their music and enjoy it? Some names that come to mind are Michael Jackson, of course, R. Kelly. What did what what, what did they do? Um. So <laughs> they. Um. I don't know First exactly. Of all, who the fuck is that? <laughs> Who the hell was that guy? Michael Jackson, <laughs> the King of Pop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, you, you you probably know him from his uh, his arcade game, the Moonwalker. Uh, oh yeah, you gotta save the kids and you yep, gotta yep. You save moonwalk the to the children and yep. you save. Oh yeah, yep. that guy. Yep. Yeah. Help me, Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Help me, Michael. Unfortunately, that a, uh, when you fucked when, up game when you find out what he's accused of, that game has a very different tone. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely hear. It's kind of like. Yeah. So yeah, I hear Michael Jackson's music on the radio still a lot more than I hear yeah, R. Kelly's music. It's but kinda, it's kind of hard I to cancel still the hear, King of Pop. But I still hear R. Kelly's music on the radio every now and then. I don't really listen to the radio that much, so like. Even, you know, it's, it's always in passing or, you know, when I was still, you know, working in an office, it was, you know, I'd hear it, you know, on the shitter in the bathroom, you know, you'd hear um, radio stuff. But, you know, it has been, I think people, I think the public, and I'm not saying me, the public is definitely, I think, more uncertain of what to believe on the Michael Jackson thing. Or they're giving him a free pass. I haven't figured out which it is. But it doesn't seem like it's as clear cut as R. Kelly, where, I, you know, I'd say 90% of people that you ask would rally around the fact that, like, yeah, R. Kelly is a serial sexual, you know, predator, Um with with I, Michael Jackson, there seems to be a lot of well, yeah, but those kids were coached. You know, they've gone back on their statements. Um, you know, and again, whether or not I'm not saying I believe any of this stuff. I'm just saying that this is what people will say. And and so again, I don't know if that means that they're turning a blind eye or if they are still genuinely conflicted on how to feel about this case. To my knowledge, Michael Jackson never served you know, any kind, you know, he was never convicted of any kind of charge of, like, lewd or lascivious act with children or anything like that. Um, did he ever pay civil settlements as a result of those cases, or was he able to get out of paying those? No idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't have that information in front of me, or <laughs> know it offhand. But I think, g- going off of that with Michael Jackson, I think one of the things, the reasons why people still like he seems to get a free pass i think it's kind of hard when growing up a lot of people he was like their like musical idol like he he was such a big deal for so long and like if your whole childhood and teenage years you were listening to this artist and you you have these sentimental things in your head of of listening to this in certain points in your life it's kind of hard to just throw that away and act like oh yeah no he's you know he's canceled we can't 
I think a lot of people kind of view his like wacko Jacko sort of years um, as that's what that's what the uh, tabloids called him, and I know he hated it. Uh, uh, he hated it. Wacko Jacko. But um, but during you know those years where you know he rapidly appeared to have you know kind of become a white person, um, you know at least you know with physical appearance wise, um, you know he 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 just he changed very drastically. I think a lot of people write that off as almost like that's a different person, you know. Um, that's at least that's that's how people seem to see it, you know, because he goes from being the king of pop, you know, like this. Uh, this this light-skinned black dude you know who's got you know he's got like a fro and you know he's making hit after hit after hit and then all of a sudden you know he looks like fucking Anne Hathaway like somebody messed up her makeup (laughs) (laughs) you know and I think that that is the Michael Jackson that people associate with you know that's when Michael allegedly raping children uh, wacko jacko yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of rumors Jackson surrounding that. You know, there's him getting you know his hair caught on fire and suffering burns during that Pepsi commercial, holding his son blanket out of a window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah naming his son blanket. Um, blanket Jackson. It's got a nice ring to it. Uh, I I probably would have. I mean, I don't know why I didn't go with like Ottoman or something. Something cool, you know? Yeah. What about Cumrag? Cumrag Jackson. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a problematic one. Um, yeah, so that's the other thing is, though, I mean, we're wading into some heavy territory here. And we're laughing about all of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we are wading into some heavy <laughs> territory here. And, um, you know, it is, you know, interspersed with humor. So, you know, fair warning, we don't find what these people have done to be funny. Um, but boy, are we going <laughs> to try to. But boy, are we trying to. <laughs> Um, I personally, I mean, with somebody like Michael Jackson, um, there's, so there's like a Netflix special that I think is fairly recent still that I'm I've been meaning no, it to. It, it wasn't Netflix. Netflix. No, no, not Netflix. I don't think It was so. like, uh, it was some, like HBO. It was some cable TV. Yeah, it was HBO, I believe. No, no, it was like a cable TV thing. It was on cable TV. Cause that's why, cause I, really? I couldn't watch it. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to watch it, but, um. I, mean, I, just, I just know it was. Yeah. I just I wanted to basically. No, it was only watch on. It. The, I made it like through CBS like one episode of Epstein stuff, and I knew he was bad, but it was it was pretty graphic, and so I kind of noped out. I was like, okay, I think I you got the picture. Out. I, <laughs> I went, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And you, you of course view Epstein as an artist, correct? <laughs> I think he viewed himself as an artist. Um, I don't know what kind of artist exactly, but uh, no, I've seen I've seen it's just a financier. But that's the other thing is that one of the people we're covering, you know, without saying too much, is also kind of a financier themselves. I mean, so we're we're looking at we're looking at directors, actors, you know, financiers. It's um, you know, it's uh, we're Epstein. Know, can you yeah. separate the art from the artist? <laughs> can you separate the massage from the happy ending? No, no. Um, no, I've seen as fucking disgusting. Um, how about R. Kelly? I mean, his lyrics aren't about 
you know, the disgusting things he did where he like tried to like set up women with like a sex Held coach so that they could like compete for his libido or whatever. I did watch that one. I did watch that. I feel like he doesn't that have, I feel like he doesn't so have songs up. about that, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah, dude, R. Kelly's the biggest piece of shit in the world. That, that, that one blew my fucking mind. And there's like, there's like five like hour long episodes of just like this, like crazy fucking testimony. Like him, like literally like, keeping girls essentially like locked in like his room like locked in like the basement like they couldn't leave trapped in the closet like, yeah he'd like text their mom and shit and be like hey i'm okay like don't let you take or like i'm pretty sure he even like said i could be wrong about this i haven't seen it in a while but pretty sure he was like hey like i'm i don't ever want to talk to you again or, don't like, come looking but, for me yeah yeah shit like that <laughs> oh wow that's fucked up yeah and he like kept them there pissed in their faces and shit yeah really fucked up fucking but ignition goes though. Yeah. It's the remix to ignition. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling and body grinding me down in Dubai. Yeah, I actually had a I had a piece of wall art that uh, our friend Dom um, made actually that had um, those lyrics on it and it had it had Ooh. R. Kelly, but it was like on like LeBron James's body or something because he couldn't find like a shirtless picture of him. I can't remember. That's neither here nor there. But anyway, there was wall art that I had of R. Kelly, and uh, I did actually take it down. I had it hanging up, and um, I think I still have it just because it was a piece of art no, made I, by my no, friend. I, I would not but, have any, an R. Kelly quote on my wall. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a quote Especially about in the him. bedroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's certainly not a quote it's about right him. Your bed. You know, God. denying stuff. But yeah, it was. Yeah, it's something that I couldn't in good conscience. He used the shaggy defense too. There was a there was a video of him like pissing on this poor underage. I think she was uh, like four. She was underage too, by the way. Um, yeah, she was fourteen. I think yeah, 13. Like fourteen yeah. or something. There's a video of him peeing on her, and they played it in court, and he's like, it wasn't me. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Like, he's, he's not denying that the video is real. He's not denying that there is a video that, that where a man me. is like, pissing that's your on a girl. Basement. That's he's your just fireplace. saying, that's not a video of me. Yeah, and I, I did, I did and see I that. Think they, I think he settled with her out of court, but I could be wrong. I, I saw that trial, too, and then they switched to the next video, and uh, they were having sex on the counter. He said it wasn't me. And then they were on the bathroom floor. He also said it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. He he forgot that he uh, gave a key to her, mm-hmm. and she still had a key to his Little place. Little mama caught me red-handed. <laughs> <laughs> caught me red-handed. Yes, yes, that's what we've been doing. We've been, but yeah, so yeah, that's where the shaggy defense comes from. Is that. You know, it's it's claiming wasn't me. By the way, not to rope in, you know, Shaggy, you know, a you know, a great R and B, you know, Shaggy, hero. Not a monster. Yeah, he's he's you know, he has nothing to do with this case other than the fact that claiming that the Kelly video now. is real but it's simply not you, that's considered the Shaggy defense now. And n- not to be confused with Oh Scoob. <laughs> Is it on the opposite they, of a like monster? He's a monster each other? hunter. Like you're like, oh, Scoob, oh, Scoob, And honestly, is that, Scoob the bottom or the top in this? Uh, and that would honestly go with our monster movie month. But no, we are not exploring the monsters of Scooby Doo, but rather the monsters of Hollywood. Well, 
I think it's inconclusive if we can separate the art from the artist, but I think that that is a good thing, you know? I don't know if I can totally do it, but I think that's what this month is about. Yeah, it's like a case-by-case case case, And I think the other problem is it's easier to separate it when their art is really good, right? Like, I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but people are more willing to make exceptions for people if their art is beloved. All right, let's, uh, let's get into it. All right, so let's talk Kevin Spacey, who happens to be our monster of the week, our first monster of the week. Dun dun dun. dun. Used to be <laughs> used to be one of my favorite actors until allegations came yeah. out. Yeah, and so so <laughs> let's talk about these allegations specifically. So on October 29th in 2017, actor Anthony Rapp alleged that Spacey, while appearing intoxicated, made a sexual advance toward him in 1986 when Rapp happened to be 14 and Spacey was 26. Rap also shared the story in a 2001 interview with The Advocate, but Spacey's name was redacted from publication at that time to avoid legal disputes and to avoid the public outing him. Spacey stated through Twitter that he did not remember the encounter, but that he owed Rap the sincerest apology for what would have been deeply inappropriate drunken behavior if he had behaved as asserted. Oh, so he, so he almost admitted it. Or, or well, said, he, he said, he, yeah, he he admitted it without admitting it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. He said it's, it's like, plausible. It's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Drunken, and, drunk, I do, I do that, like that. drunken that, locker room, you know, locker room talk. Yeah, and that is that actions. is very, very. Uh, yeah, and 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 we'll we'll get to that. Actually. He's like, I could so, see myself doing that. But yeah, no, I mean, to kick it off though, Anthony Rapp is very brave to like come out publicly. About I don't that. even know who that is. Uh, what is he? Anthony Rapp, he does like theater productions and I believe he's been in a couple of movies. He was in Dazed and Confused. He's oh, one, okay. he's he's an actor in Dazed and Confused. Um, gotcha. He's also a very good at getting platinum trophies in PlayStation for PlayStation 4. Mm, um, cur- currently as of the record has 72 platinum trophies. <laughs> That is, a fl- <laughs> that is a fuck ton of platinum trophies. Yeah, that, is, that is a lot. I don't know how um, you have time to still be famous if you have 72 yeah. fucking platinum and trophies. So, well, so, well, mm. I would think that, you know, having over 70 platinum trophies is pretty good, you know, credentials for somebody being a truth teller and somebody who's not, you know, out to seek attention. You know, they've, yeah. they've, they've made a name for themselves. They're not out to, but... It, if you were still wondering, 15 others then came forward alleging similar abuse, including a Boston anchor woman who said that Kevin Spacey sexually assaulted her son. Oh. A filmmaker, Tony Montana, who is, you know... Who oh. shares a name with... Uh... With Tony Montana. Yeah, with Montana. <laughs> Tony Montana of Scarface. So so a filmmaker named Scarface. Badass. Um, and the son of Richard Dreyfus. Dre- Dreyfus. Dreyfus. He was Dreyfus. in uh, Jaws. Yeah. And he was Hooper. Um, he was the college boy who uh, oh, studied. Then, then who cares? Studied uh, the ocean. And eight people who worked on House of Cards said that he like Holy did shit. something inappropriate. So super recently, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, fairly oh, yeah. recently. So not just not just in the eighties. If you're of the camp that's like, oh, that happened a long time ago. Uh, so no, I mean, House of Cards was. Uh, I mean, 
they just wrapped that up, didn't they? I mean, yeah. And so he was uh, because because Kevin Spacey was a very renowned and pretty prolific actor, at least in our time. He was actually the artistic director of the Old Vic Theater in London, which is a traditional stage acting venue. And um, the Guardian was contacted by a number of people who alleged that in that position, he actually groped and behaved in an inappropriate way with young men um, while he was working there. Um, and so in the fallout of this shortly before Halloween of 2017, um, the month we're currently in. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, so about, so. you know, about three years ago to the date, you might, you might say, depending on when we actually drop this, um, Kevin Spacey came out as gay. And he apologized to Rap for allegedly making this sexual advance toward him in 86. And he said, I've had relationships with both men and women. I have loved and have had romantic encounters with men throughout my life. And I choose now to live as a gay man. His decision to come out via his statement was criticized by prominent members of the gay community and, frankly, the straight community as well, um, as an attempt to change the subject and try to shift focus away from this accusation. Um, He used his own drunkenness as an excuse, which we sort of alluded to earlier. And, you know, as an excuse for making a sexual advance against a 14-year-old when he was 26 mind you um and also for basically implying that you know he was gay and therefore it was okay that he preyed on a minor they took issue with that unsurprisingly and so in the midst of the allegations filming was suspended on the sixth and final season of house of cards so the show was already due to wrap up in case you know you know there's any questions about whether or not he was the reason why the show was killed off no they were it was a very successful show but it was nearing the end of its arc and so um on the sixth and final season they decided that they were going to stop the filming and change course they implemented an anonymous complaint hotline some crisis counselors sexual assault legal advisors for the crew and the show which was due to end in 2018 had to be shortened from 13 episodes in the final season to eight and he was removed from the cast and as his role as executive producer so if if a show is successful and it's been renewed for a couple seasons i think it's after like two years oftentimes you get the opportunity to renegotiate your contract and that means you can become an executive producer and it sounds like so they they pulled they pulled that did did, does anyone know or do you guys know how they how they did that just like the main character is just like not in the i've never watched House. i believe his wife became the main character did they, they kill him off? Yeah, or? I think they killed him off, and they did like a state funeral for him and shit. Jeez, can you imagine yeah. just having to throw that curveball in there? Like, oh yeah, and then his wife, yeah, <laughs> his wife so, kills him. Uh, so I mean, I mean, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like at the you end have of like the, the whole thing planned at the out. end of the Carters, you know, like that new Roseanne spinoff or whatever, uh, where like the main the main family are Trump supporters, and it was this big, it was this whole big thing. Um, after she in the show took, there, well, she, so, so I don't remember what what channel it was on or what services on but she took a bunch of ambien and speaking of speaking of blaming things on stuff you're on she went on twitter and she said a bunch of she she compared very questionable stuff about michelle obama yeah she compared her to a monkey (laughs) yes yeah 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 specifically she compared her to a monkey and then 
she got into a Twitter spat with Ambien itself um, when they said <laughs> that one of the side effects was not racism. <laughs> yes, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's yeah, hilarious. but 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 anyway, so the way that they killed off Roseanne's character because you know in in TV, especially when when you're feeling lazy, or you want to like you know kind of slight an actor, you know you kind of kill off their character, and they killed off her character with an accidental opiate overdose. Are you serious? That is, which is topical. Awesome. <laughs> not a not a super not a super swag way to die. Um. You know, um, so, but, you know, especially very, very publicly on a TV show. So <laughs> they, they chose, you know, the, you know, the Carters wrapped up that way. Was but, that, that was a comedy, right? Um, yeah. It was know. like a Roseanne reboot, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Roseanne reboot. Like a very which, funny part of the show. <laughs> Roseanne, I mean, Roseanne wasn't particularly funny itself, in my opinion. It was a sitcom. No. A mo- mo- it was a sitcom with a laugh track. But okay. so anyway, um, so similar to how the Carters cut ties with Roseanne and attempted to go on without her, Netflix actually severed ties with their titular character, Kevin Spacey. And so Frank Underwood was canceled from not only that, but other projects they had planned involving him. Um, because, you know, again, he's a prolific yeah. actor. I, I believe it was another movie he was to star in that was uh, produced by Netflix. Not necessarily House of Cards, but a, another movie. Hmm. Also, um, what was the movie about uh, John Paul Getty that he was going to be in? That is the one, I believe. Okay, that they... okay. So, yeah, so there was the movie about John Paul Getty, and they were done. I think sh- so. They were done shooting it. And they were done. They were done filming no, that's it entirely. A, that's a and they went back and they reshot every single scene he was in, and brought all of the actors who had been in those scenes back on set and redid everything that he was in. And they replaced him in the movie. Wow! I wonder if there's I've a cut of, of the uh, like the, if there's a cut of this movie that still has him in it, and if it's better. Because I'm sorry, at the end of the day, he was a terrific actor, which is probably how he was able to manipulate so many people. What, uh, is that movie out? Or I've never even heard of it, which kind of sucks because it sounds like they had to almost make two movies. Uh, The name of the film is All the Money in the World. Mm. Yeah, John Paul Getty was a rich guy. Um, He actually was one of the people whose family headed out to Oklahoma to the Osage Reservation to try to cash in on those oil contracts. Um, Because when the Osage were booted from their homelands in like the Kansas area and they were sent to the rocky track, kind of chunky, crappy land in Oklahoma, it happened to be over oil and they became very, very rich and then they leased out that oil and made some other people very rich. But anyway, so he was also pulled from awards that he was going to get. In 2017, um, the International Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences reversed its decision to honor Spacey with the um, International Emmy Founders Award. And on November 2nd, so within a week of this, this you know, this is like 
four or five days after, you know, still within within Halloween, you know, territory, the witching hour of the year, um, his publicist and talent agency both pulled the plug and ended their relationships with him. And then on December 24th, so, you know, Christmas Eve to those who are, you know, not paying attention to, you know, Christmas, Best Christian Christmas stuff. Yeah, uh, the the strangest Christmas gift ever was given to the public when Kevin Spacey uploaded a video entitled Let Me Be Frank. And again, by the way, Frank Underwood was his character on House of Cards, and they killed off how, you know, Frank and had his wife continue. Um, he uploaded it on YouTube. In the video, Spacey, well, in character as Frank Underwood, again, um, he appeared to deny the real-life allegations against him. A year later, he posted another video titled KTWK to his YouTube channel, once again in character as Underwood. So and this is... This is uh, uh... Which one? Which one of those was him? Like with like a giant butcher's knife? I like think that was the, the chicken or, one. or turkey or whatever. Okay, I believe it was the second one, but the most bizarre. Yeah, yeah, he was like cutting. He was I've like cutting up life. a turkey, talking in like a you know a faux southern like you know Accident, a, a, a southern drawl. gentleman drawl, and he's like going on about like oh you know. People don't understand the nature of power and the way that uh, <laughs> things are gonna come back to you. Like he was saying, like scary shit, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> and then uh, I don't know if this is in this uh, synopsis that you have, but uh, didn't uh, three people like uh, that were involved in his case um, from like uh, the prosecutor side? like die mysteriously yeah they had strange deaths yeah yeah like one was like a car crash uh just like um obviously unforeseen deaths and then like he came out with the second one that was like i, I can't even i, I don't know i guess yeah. we're gonna have I haven't, I, i'm gonna have to rewatch yeah, and it so and so keep in mind i mean he released the first video you know like um two months <laughs> after this like this like all dropped and he like apologized for his behavior so like less than two months later he's already on youtube doing some creepy like i didn't do this kind of shit like in a character that he has been ripped away from i don't even know if he if he was saying he didn't do it it was almost like he was like saying like i got the vibe like yeah i did it <laughs> like so, like yeah, it was more of an intimidating. Kind yeah, of, yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, you thought that you could get away with this, or like whatever. Yeah, like, oh, like I'm the one who's been wronged. You know, me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's been wronged. Me. You know, um, without without you know, phlegm in the throat. But so I mean, the crazy thing is, you know, again, you know. You know, that, that was less than two months, you know, and then, you know, a year after that, he posted a second one. But it didn't take long for the ball to start rolling out some other shit. And in April 2018, so maybe like six months after Anthony Rapp came out about that stuff, uh, the L.A. District, County's office, <laughs> District Attorney's Office stated that it would investigate an allegation that Spacey had sexually assaulted an adult male in 1992. What? 
and in 28 yeah an adult yeah so he it's not just like a kitty thing um a kitty raper yeah a kitty raper <laughs> oh yeah. um and in 2018 three more allegations of sexual assault against spacey were revealed by scotland yard which of course you what know to the, to the uninformed that's like britain's you know investigative service and that brought the total no- number of investigations open in the uk to six um wow. by September of 2018 so less than a year a little you know like 11 months after the initial allegations first dropped um Los Angeles Superior Court claimed that Spacey sexually assaulted a masseur at a house in Malibu Cali uh but, you know a few years before that um it just it just keeps on rolling he sexually assaulted that anchor's son in nantucket um and he was texting his girlfriend throughout the alleged groping incident um they were trying to obtain copies of the text and the phone itself um but the cell phone went missing and they learned that he gave the phone to police but she had deleted some of the text messages. Her son filed a lawsuit against Spacey claiming emotional damages, and he voluntarily dismissed the claims with prejudice. Um, what does that mean? Let's find the fuck out. I I think that that is either... Uh, I think that's, that's uh, the judge dismissing it, saying that they had prejudice toward Kevin Spacey. It seems oh, that okay. action taken with prejudice is final. And uh, without pr- so dismissal with prejudice would forbid the party. So if so, if his filing of dismissal with prejudice was successful, that accuser would not be able to refile the case. Wow. Um, and believe it or not, criminal charge against Spacey was dropped by Cape and Islands prosecutors, um, and the anonymous. Th- massage therapist died of cancer and the final criminal case against him went bye-bye and was closed so kevin spacey is a free man from a legal perspective he's probably not getting any work right now but um he has racked up a questionable array of history most of it non-consensual sex related yeah a lot of which with minors yeah. 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 At least Kitty Raper, dude. Yeah, even even one, you know. Um, you know, one and one and you're done as as I say. Um so that leads into <laughs> the film we <laughs> no, not, not one and done, one and you're done. Are you guys going to be one and done or do you want to keep the tab open? <laughs> uh so that, so that leads into this week's film that we watched, uh, a Kevin Spacey classic, the 1997 neo-noir, L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential. Fucking loved this movie. I really yeah, did. It was I, fantastic. I, I did, too. I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I'm, yeah, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of noir, <laughs> and uh, this was a really well-done um, neo-noir from the 90s that um, kind of got a lot of accolades and different awards it was nominated for yeah but we can get, in, get best picture we can get into that later um we'll see the uh <laughs> we're on the edge of our seats all right stay tuned you'll you'll find out uh, i'm on the back of my seat can because i if i keep leaning Google. you know forward and backward then the microphone has trouble picking me up um we learned this during test recording actually fun fact nice 
that can uh peek behind the curtain from mr scallon yeah <laughs> uh, yeah m- more to come um now what are we going to eventually put in, in, the, in the video feature i'm thinking that you know you'll be able to click a little cartoon version of me that will like pop out of the corner and i'll be like teehee learn a secret you know, and <laughs> <laughs> like that annoying fucking paper clip that uh, well, not like Clippy. No, <laughs> no, no, he's Cl- good. Leave him alone. <laughs> the problem with Clippy is he tells you the same thing. He doesn't teach you a new thing every day. He's just like, it looks like you're trying to write a letter. And it's like, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're trying to write a letter. Mind if I read the contents? <laughs> Mine it for data. All right, now that we've heard about uh, Kevin Spacey's allegations, let's get into today's film, L.A. Confidential. So this film opens with a montage narrated by Sid Hudgens, who's played by Danny DeVito. He's the publisher of of Hush Hush, a Hollywood sleaze magazine. Um, Hudgens explains that Mickey Cohen has taken over the organized crime racket in Los Angeles um, and that his actions have tarnished the reputation of the L.A. Police Department. Wait, wait, I, I thought Mickey Cohen was gone at this point. This, yeah, this is the opening. Oh, he, oh, he does he? He talks about Mickey Cohen being open uh, or being arrested in like the opening monologue. Oh yeah, yeah, being arrested. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. So this is a post Mickey Cohen post world. Mickey Cohen. Yeah. Well, gotcha. we're we're, we're, by Frank we're seeing Reynolds. what happened right before. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So confused. So Cohen, however, is arrested on income tax evasion and sent to prison, leaving open the rackets he'd expanded for years. During the Christmas season of 1952, police officer Wendell Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, while out on a liquor store run with his partner, Dick Stensland, checks in on a parolee he'd sent to San Quentin State Penitentiary and finds him physically abusing his wife. Bud has no tolerance for those who are violent with women. Uh, Mm. His own mother was killed by his drunken, abusive father. I totally forgot about that part. To lure, he, to lure the wife beater outside, Bud yanks the man's lighted Santa sleigh and reindeer decorations off his roof. Yeah, he grabs the entire fucking Christmas display, and in one fell, like, yank, it just he just pulls that shit down. Yeah. Foul yank, that sounds like... One fell. <laughs> foul, sounds like you're... Foul, not a foul yank, a Sounds like what yank. goes on in your bedroom. Foul yank. No, it's supposed to be like the fell swoop of yanks, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when the man comes outside to confront White, he gets beaten up and handcuffed to the porch railing. Bud tells the man that he's sent, he'll be sent back to prison for about 18 months and that he'll be watching him after he is released. He also threatens... Uh, this is a very detailed synopsis. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, he threatens uh, charging him with uh, child rape, which he calls... Kitty raping. And specifically, he says, I'll have you violated on a kitty raper beef. Yeah, You know what yeah. they do to kitty rapers in Quentin, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I, 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 they, might, they might rape them as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two, I think two they, rapes I think they... don't make a... Uh, a consent. <laughs> a, a consent. Um, yeah, two rapes don't make a yes. Onward. <laughs> yeah, I think they give him the Freddy Krueger treatment, where they just like burn them, mm. burn their skin, or they beat him to death with a barbell, Bobby. like they did. Uh, was that a uh, Dahmer? <laughs> I think uh, Dahmer got killed with uh, some workout equipment by a much burlier, angrier oh, really? man who is also in prison. And did not find his crimes amusing one bit. Like you do? 
<laughs> I mean. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Bud and Stenslin go to the liquor store where they buy alcohol for a party at their precinct. Bud meets a beautiful woman in the store named Lynn, who easily recognizes that he is a cop by saying, quote, it's pretty much stamped on your forehead. <laughs> Leaving the store, Bud notices Was he it. wearing a police this is hat? Like, this is like a shot. No, 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 no. That, that's that's like, a, like a witty line from like noirs of the 40s and 50s. I think they're trying to replicate. Okay. Um, I think just, oh, practically, uh, it's stamped, stamped on, on your, your forehead. forehead. Yeah, it's like a it's supposed to be like a sassy, uh, witty. Who's that tall drink of water that just came in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, Benny Bonigan. Leaving the store, Bud notices a young woman whose face is bruised and bandaged. Sitting in the back seat of a car is another unidentified man. When Bud inquires about what happened, he is met by the car's driver, Leland Buzz Meeks. Bud disarms him and inquires further about the injured woman, who tells him herself that she is okay. He returned Meeks's pistol and wallet. Okay, uh, so for, for the record for people listening, he literally disarms him, not like emotionally disarms him. <laughs> yes. He seduces him. Into a... <laughs> when he gets back into his own car, Stenslin confirms that Meeks is a former cop. Then we then we get to a lavish Hollywood Christmas party for a show called Badge of Honor. Sergeant Jack Vossen, which is spelled Vincenzen, Vincennes, which is very confusing. Wait, hold on. The it's guy who Vossen. The guy who used to be a former cop. This is the guy who said, "Cut me some slack. I used to be a cop." They call me Buzz. <laughs> was that a question or it's a bit of both <laughs> I, what are you asking if that's anyway move anyway move, moving on back to you what just you wanted saying to about just Vicen. say that line right. uh, sergeant jack vossen played by kevin spacey a na- narcotics detective is dancing with his date when he is met by sid hudgens uh, Vossen is a, is a technical advisor to the show's lead actor, Brett Chase, teaching him how to act like a cop. He's also got a hustle going with Sid where he busts celebrities for minor offenses, and Sid then writes trashy gossip to ruin their careers in his magazine, Hush Hush. On this night, Sid has a hot tip for Jack. Two starlets, Matt Reynolds, Matt Reynolds and Tammy Jordan, have purchased a small quantity of marijuana and have rented a hotel. Sid, promise it, Sid promises Vossen a $50 payment for doing the bust in exchange for exclusive coverage in Hush Hush. We are then taken to a lo- local precinct where we first meet Sergeant Edmund Ed Exley, played by Guy Pierce. Wait, wait, so, so what, what do the two get out of that? Um, the cop gets... gets- Famous and then well, like back no, in the he gets day, money. He gets a, he, day, he gets oh yeah, he gets that. Uh, he gets money for weed. That's right. And, and what we'll was talk that? about that in a sec. Oh, but, but then uh, he gets money. So he gets money, and then the, and the, and the guy gets a big story. Gets the exclusive. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, and and Danny DeVito comes to him with the tips, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. So he's kind of his inside man in law enforcement that he can use him to get like photo ops, essentially. Uh, but anyway, we meet Ed Exley, played by Guy Pierce. Did you guys notice Guy Pierce from anything else? Nathaniel, I guess, I guess is the. Oh, are you talking about Ellie Noir? Is that no, 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 no. Oh. Um, so Ed Exley, played by Guy <laughs> Pierce, is uh, the main character in the movie Memento. 
Oh shit, dude. Yeah, he doesn't really. Li- I didn't. I didn't know that until after. But yeah, he doesn't necessarily. No, yeah, like I him. mean, he's yeah, he, the main I mean, guy. He really in does, but he doesn't at the same time. Yeah. Like, I just didn't recognize him. Momento. I think Memento is the only thing I've ever seen him. He in. should take off his glasses. Yeah, no, I, I did find that kind of funny how they just like kept on like telling him to take off his glasses. Yeah. I don't really understand that. Um, like, did they, they they just thought it didn't look badass or something? Or I don't know. They, <laughs> they the detectives don't. Um, but yeah, Ed Exley, played by Guy Pierce, who has been assigned to as the watch commander for the evening. We see him being interviewed by a reporter for the Los Angeles Times, who brings up his late fraught his late father Preston Exley's own famous reputation as a police officer. He suggests that Exley has a lot to live up to. Exley also talks to his captain, Dudley Smith, played by James Cromwell, who expresses disappointment in the young officer and warns him that unless he's willing to adopt the brutal tactics, such as planting evidence, interrogative beatings, shooting a fleeing suspect in the back, employed by officers like his father, He'll never be a successful detective in the department. Exley intends to build a career as an honest cop, even if it means being a pariah within the ranks and file of cop. As a last word of advice, Smith urges Exley not to wear his glasses because nobody else on the force wears them. Hey, lose your glasses, boyo. <laughs> oh, that's a good reason. <laughs> hey, you look a little different. Yeah, I, I also hate people who wear glasses. <laughs> yeah, man, glasses are fucking stupid. He says to two <laughs> people wearing glasses. <laughs> um, Vossen busts Matt and Tammy and arrests them in a gaudy show that Sid headlines as the movie premiere pot bust because, Sid, because Sid has planned to take the article picture from such an angle as to capture the movie theater premiere going on in the background. Yeah, and more specifically, they're like kissing half naked. They're enjoying an intimate moment, and they're stoned. And, <laughs> and then, then they just bust in with the cameras. No, and then, then there's Danny like, DeVito, like in the in the fucking yeah, he's window, just, like, he's like, like <laughs> yeah, he's just doing some Frank Reynolds bullshit, just creeping. And then like, I don't know, man. Like, it was just wild. Like around that time, that was when we started calling it marijuana because we were trying to associate it with Mexicans and Latin Americans because they were the new like you know racial enemy um, in this country. And then you know they- just like right right as this happening, these cops are just drinking absurd amounts of booze at a party in the same building. Yeah, no, they they also use the term hopheads, which I really liked. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. I think we should bring that back. Uh, another term they use throughout this movie that I really love is shitbird. Shitbird, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> is a hophead, dope. I'm pretty sure a hophead means a heroin addict now, though. Yeah. Uh, wait, oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about grasshoppers. And that that's that that was oh was grasshopper Ooh, grasshoppers yeah like yeah. oh you bunch of grasshoppers, grasshoppers you will learn yeah. when you get high you will learn much yeah <laughs> yes yes exactly hop to a new plane grasshopper well Vossen is investigating the hotel he pockets the small amount of marijuana that the two brought and is intrigued to find a business card from an agency called called Fleur de Lis. He takes them to Smith's police station and has them booked for possession of marijuana. Exley refuses the $10 bribe offered by uh, Jack Vossen uh, and a reply that perplexes Jack. Wait, wait, wait. What, what? I don't remember that part. Uh, so Kevin Spacey tried to give him $10 bribe when he brought the guy in. 
Why? Just because he helped her? Yeah. Well, just because it was, because he received money for it. So he was so trying, he to, was trying to get him in on it. Okay, yeah. give him a gotcha. cut. Yeah, and he refused it. Yeah, I, I do remember that now. Uh, at that moment, three Mexican su- suspects are brought in. It is believed they assaulted two police officers who came out of the incident with minor in- injuries. It is alleged. Yeah, this is this is this no, is no, no, no. The minor injuries are real. It is alleged that they had major injuries. The details of the incident quickly become hyperbolic as gossip spreads. Uh, Vossen himself contributes to the escalation, and the drunk partygoers are led to believe that both officers are near death in the hospital. Stensland and some of the other partygoers, already have it heavily intoxicated, rush downstairs to the holding area. Oh, wait, wait. So they had minor injuries, but they thought... They, they thought... A, a cop walked in and said, oh, he, he lost an eye, and then the other guy is being read his last rites. Oh, wow. So, so they so, think that so, they're like, dying. So they think that one's going to die and one that. lost an eye. And they're all just drunk and shit? Yeah. And so they like rush, yep. They just yep. rush downstairs. Very racist. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Stensland and some of the other partygoers, already heavily intoxicated, rushed downstairs to the holding area refusing to recognize Exley's authority as watch commander. The scene quickly becomes ugly as the Mexican prisoners are viciously beaten. Yeah, so they like they like Yeah, I mean they're they're, they're, they're drunk upstairs, they rush downstairs to the jail. They yeah, go down to, to where like they're being basically booked. lynch them. I mean yeah, yeah, like they, they it, go there it literally looks like and, a yeah. scene out of like to kill a mockingbird. I yeah, mean Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then there's this big brawl. Um you can keep reading. Exley is I'm recalling this from memory. <laughs> uh, Exley is locked in the. <laughs> Exley uh, is locked. Where was I here? You're just like scanning, like in the air, like with your eyes. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, there his, I was. He's using his focus. He's yeah. like. Exley <laughs> <laughs> uh, is locked in the isolation room when he tries to intervene. Bud White tries to pull Stenslin off one of the prisoners and calm him down, only to be provoked into the attack when assaulted by one of them. Uh, insulted by one of them, he, I believe he says his. Like his mother's a whore or something, and then he joins in. That's all it took. It's Wait, actually, not actually. No, 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 no. Uh, Bud White, played oh, by yeah. Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is this is. <laughs> yeah, he is. He, he is. He does seem like a Bud Light kind of guy too. He's a uh, just a really. Uh, it's really all American dink. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a big burly, uh, very easily. Um, aggravated guy. Yeah. However, Russell Crowe is not as a reminder of the Monster of the Month, although he plays a jerk in the movie. Uh, debatable. I mean, yeah, he's definitely a jerk, but yeah. I think he's... His redeeming man. qualities. Uh, Vossen joins in uh, as well when the pri- when a prisoner falls on him, getting his, suit, his fancy suit bloodied. Uh, the reporters who were interviewing Exley earlier had just came back to get like another question or another picture or something, and they kind of see the ruckus and they run in and snap a photo of it. And after previously saying that their headline would be "Oh, Silent Christmas," it it then turns into bloody the front sh- the front page of the L.A. Times is "Bloody Christmas Blood." Which, of course, was a real event in 1951 when seven civilians, including five Hispanic men, were brutally beaten by police and police were just full-on assaulting their own detainees. So the Bloody Christmas uh, headline sparks public outrage and demand for the responsible parties to be held accountable. 
the LAPD chief, district attorney Ellis Lowe, and Dudley Smith meet with White, Vossen, and Exley separately. Bud White staunchly refuses to rat on Stensland as the ringleader of the incident and is ordered to be suspended without pay. Exley is more cooperative, knowing that his own testimony will, will secure him a promotion to lieutenant, lieutenant in detective level. He agrees to appear in court as a surprise witness. So he snitches on all of his compadres. Kind of, yeah. And also shows political savvy that even Smith couldn't imagine. Exley explains that the public will not be happy if the police bury this scandal. So the, so the blame should be shifted to participants who've already secured their pension and can be conceived to take early retirements. While indicting Stenslin and White as the ones who purchased the liquor for the party. Uh, the, the district attorney, Lowe, agrees, and the chief immediately has uh, Exley promoted to lieutenant on the spot, noting parallels between Exley's rise and that of his father. Yeah, okay. That, uh, yeah, that, that, parallels that part... between this and the Minneapolis Police Department. It's true. Definitely. It's yeah, feeling, I definitely made a feeling some some very big MPD vibes. Definitely. Um, I, uh, yeah, th- this part was a, l- a little convoluted for me um so it's it's actually nice to hear it um recalled from memory yes yeah yep yeah so yeah i mean he's basically he's gonna help them convict two sacrificial lambs to improve the image of the department in the public eye for taking action but they do warn him the other officers are gonna hate his guts yep and he gets a promotion too yeah yeah so he's getting a cut However, Lowe and Smith know that note that Exley's testimony will be worthless unless they can produce another witness. For this, Exley suggests Vossen, figuring that he can be compelled to testify with the threat of losing his technical advisor role on the, on the show Badge of Honor. The officials invite Exley to observe as Vossen meets with them, and they lay out Exley's deal. Uh, Vossen agrees and accepts a transfer to the vice department following a temporary suspension, though is quick to figure that Exley is the star witness. Within days, the fallout from the scandal blows over. Stenslin is fired so that the police have a scapegoat who can take all the blame from the incident, while several other officers are forced into early retirement. Exley moves up to homicide downtown and is immediately despised by his fellow colleagues. White is taken off suspension when he agrees to aid Smith and detectives Michael Browning and William Carlyle in a new project in which they intercept mobsters who intend to move into L.A. and take over Mickey Cohen's businesses. The suspects are taken to a remote and abandoned motel complex called The Victory and are beaten by White and threatened into leaving the city. While this goes on, several former Cohen lieutenants are gunned down by two men teams armed with Thompson submachine guns in what the media speculate to be a power struggle to gain control of the void left by Cohen's imprisonment. In one incident, Cohen's top heroin dealer is murdered in his house and 20 kilograms of product is stolen by the unidentified killers. Uh, during this montage... That is a lot of heroin. Yeah, definitely. How much was it? That is 20,000 grams of heroin. Yeah. During this montage, the killing is uh, is great. It's uh, narrated by uh, Danny DeVito, uh, kind of like he's writing an article for Hush Hush. Yeah, you can actually hear the typewriter in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty well talking. done. Yeah, it's pretty well done. I really like it. 
I like it a lot. Can you imagine having to write at length on a typewriter, though? No. <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> well, if you screw a, up, you're yeah, fucked. It just sucks. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Vasen is tempor- temporarily suspend- <laughs> it's a spam. It's a spam, dude. Vasen is temporarily suspended per his deal with the DA, and upon his reinstatement is assigned to a vice task force looking to break up t- prostitution rings around the city. And Vasen is Ke- uh, Kevin Spacey, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, Jack Vasen. Um, He's intrigued when he notices a symbol of a flower on the dossier. He's given it and recognizes it as the logo from the Fleur de Lis business card he found in Matt Reynolds's hotel. However, his attempt to contact them over the phone is unsuccessful. At one point, we get an interaction with Bud White and his ex-partner Stenslin. Stenslin seems to have gotten a nice deal out of it, even though he was one of the fall guys. He tells White that he has big plans that evening and a date. But sometimes in Ooh. the but sometime in the future he will take him out for drinks, and that he was buying. Bud replies with, "I'll bring my wallet just in case." <laughs> They're gonna fuck. Oh, because it has condoms in it. No, no. I'm just kidding. Because he's unreliable and probably has said that before. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He poked holes in the condom. Just a a, a nice little. He's gonna get him pregnant. Nice little character building. Quip. On his Quip. first, on his first night in homicide, shortly after two a.m., Exley gets a call about a murder at, at the Night Owl Coffee Shop, a regular hangout for cops. Exley arrives on the scene and finds the cook shot dead behind the counter and the cash register emptied, suggesting a robbery. He notices an overturned chair and realizes there were several customers inside. He then notices a blood trail that leads to the men's bathroom. Following this trail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. (laughs) Anyway, go on. Following this trail, nothing behind the scenes happened there. Tim just just burst out into laughter. Your guess is as good as 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 ours. Following this trail, he finds five more bodies piled up in the bathroom. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) All riddled with shotgun blasts. Dudley that's, Smith. That's not funny. <laughs> oh. Dudley Smith arrives and assumes command of the investigation, making Exley his second in command. The forensic team quickly reports that there were six victims. The shooters are determined to have fired 15 rounds, which subjects three, which suggests three Remington shotguns with five capacity and three gunmen. Pay very close attention to those numbers because they'll come back into play yep. later. Write them down. It also turns out that one of the deceased. It also turns out that one of the deceased has been identified as Stensland. Mm, S kind of looks like a five from the capacity of the. Oink oink! The pig is dead. <laughs> you were just trying to say <laughs> oink oink at some point. <laughs> Get your bingo card out. Tim said oink oink. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, White rushes to the hospital. That's like the free space. Like, you know, it's gonna, you can just cross that (laughs) one off before you even start. Yeah. Uh, White rushes to the hospital morgue to look at the body. Crestfallen to see his friend among the dead, especially considered that he'd spoken to him a few hours earlier, earlier in the parking garage 
after he'd surrendered his badge and gun. Kevin Spacey, we're talking about? Uh, no, this is Russell Crowe. Oh, Russell Crowe, okay. Bud White. He yeah, there's a lot of characters in this movie. It's like, very, a, a lot of moving pieces. I don't think that happens. <laughs> uh, no. He demands the story from Exley, who fills him in. He and Exley then sit in another room of the victims. Susan Lefferts is identified by her mother. When he sees her body, Bud immediately recognizes Susan as the woman in the car who appeared to be injured the night he and Stenslin were purchasing the liquor. She had a bandage on her face. Yep, yep. The woman looks with like she broke her nose. Or the something. bandage. Uh, before the identification of Leffert's body, we uh, hear one of the staff members mention that he thought the body was Rita Hayworth, a famous star from the noir area, era from films such as Gilda and the list goes on. Putting aside all of all other investigations, the senior detective from list <laughs> 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 <This> goes on. <laughs> Uh, the senior detective from all departments are assigned to the search and apprehension of the night owl killers. It is determined that Exley himself will lead the interrogation of the suspects when they are brought in. There are a few leads. There is a report of three quote-unquote Negro males firing shotguns driving a late 1940s Mercury Coupe. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> no. Wait, but so the late 1940s Mer- Mercury Cube, what color was it? Poop. Poop brown, wasn't it? It was maroon. Yeah. yeah. I was going to guess burgundy, which is kind of a in between maroon and poop brown. <laughs> burgundy sounds uh, like a specific, a specific kind of poop, like a, a specific shade. <clears throat> a specific number on the Bristol stool scale. Is yes. that, what is the fuck is Seven. that? The Bristol stool scale is this like pictorial guide that you can use to assign a number to what type of poop you have. No, like, is this real? Yeah, I swear to God, it's real. It's real. Is it like a medical? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah, here. Uh, yeah, pull that, pull that shit pull up, it, as they would yeah, say. Pull that up right now. It's pretty fun. People make cakes to look like it. Really. Yeah, I think like I think wait. So like, how do they? I think it's they, like nurse humor like, or like like a scale of one to ten, like one being like the least attractive. Poop. No, 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 no. It's just it's just seven different categories. There's they're not ranked. <laughs> that <laughs> is sh- wait. Are these the shits they're, kind, they're kind? They're kind of ranked. They're not ranked. They, they, we'll, we'll 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 discuss briefly how they're ranked. Oh, it's okay, kind of okay. Like, so it gets, it's kind of from hardness. It's classification. To yeah, yeah, it is. Hardness so to it's, softness. It's it's actually it's not one to ten. It's one to seven, and one being severe constipation, and seven being the natty splatties. Severe uh, diarrhea. Severe diarrhea. Liquid. Okay, so so type one separate hard lumps. We're talking like uh, malted milk balls, you know, uh, but not the kind you lumpy eat. and sausage. Yeah, yeah. Number two is lumpy and sausage like. I think we've all had one of those this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a smooth, soft sausage. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Number three is. Do you a, have to verify the softness and smooth? Yeah, yeah. So it just it kind of goes and yeah, and then we get into soft blobs with clear cut edges, mushy consistency with ragged edges. How do you know it's mushy? Like exactly. you can feel it as it comes out. Don't you? 
No, you catch it with the toilet paper in your hand. <laughs> oh. And <laughs> it like boils you don't over. Have a, you don't have it a poop stick? You. You, you just... <laughs> but yeah, type one is separate hard lumps like nuts. <laughs> like nuts. Like Difficult shit. to pass and can be black. <laughs> wow. That's if you eat a lot of Oreos. Yeah. Or if your ass is bleeding somewhere inside and it's, you know, dried blood. Is that what that means? Uh, can. Tim has a oink uh, tab uh, open and eBay oink. He's eBaying oink. (laughs) 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 All right. I can't tell if that's a joke or not. No, it's not. It's not. It's not a joke. I saw like a a pig face mask and. I just wanted right. to see what come up by eBay oink. It's kind of a lot of right, beanie no babies. No it's, it's not really a very hot commodity. White is shaken by the fact that the, that two of the night owl victims, Stenslin and Lefferts, cross paths so shortly before the killings. Acting on his hunches, he goes out on his own to follow the lead, refusing to be partnered. He returns to the liquor store where he met Lynn, and upon asking the owner... He is given the address of a man named Pierce Patchett. Who is very much like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, if if anyone has seen that show. I know it's a kind of a hidden gem, but I have, I have very not, similar character. I have not seen it. I am familiar with this thing called the Red Wedding. What is okay, what is that? I think everybody dies, right? What? You're the one familiar with it. I don't know. Is that is that from Game of Thrones? I don't know. I'm only on season two. I have no idea. Oh. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> doing an excellent job uh, avoiding the complaints, but you know, go on, proceed. Uh, Patchett is the man sitting next to Lefferts the night he met her and Meeks. Bud talks to Patchett and finds out that the woman he met in the liquor store, Lynn Bracken, played by Kim Basinger, and Lefferts are part of a prostitution ring run by Patchett. That uses plastic surgery to give his women the appearance of famous movie stars. Mm. Jane has been a bad girl. Prostitution Patchett. That's what they call him on the on the block. The prostitution ring is dubbed Flor de Lis, which unbeknownst unbeknownst to White is the, the ring that uh Vossen has been looking into. Lynn is Patchett's Veronica Lake, while Lefferts was his Rita Hayworth. However, Patchett refuses to divulge any details about Lefferts' murder and cuts the meeting short. He also mentions that he has a Monroe, Gardner, Russell, Turner lookalikes within the ring. Which is a honestly, I feel like pretty solid idea from a business standpoint. I mean, people would buy that. Celebrity yeah. lookalike hookers. It's yeah, not yeah. It's not a not a not an untapped market. I'm sure, but you know, they're they're. Could be more <laughs> as a Minnesotan. <laughs> Exley joins Vossen on a hunch and they turn up at the address of Sugar Ray Collins. So they give him like, pre- uh, uh, oh, never mind. Sorry. Like a house call. I was going to say, I was going to kind of give away a spoiler, I guess, but never mind. Just continue. Exley joins Vossen on a hunch and they turn up at the address of Sugar Ray Collins, who drives the car mentioned in the lead. They track the man and his two friends to their home and find the car and shotgun in the garage. They also find officers Browning and Carlisle have beaten them to it and are already in the garage where the car is. 
Uh, Vossen argues briefly with the two other officers about who will arrest the three men. Browning and Carlisle have gotten there first, and Vossen knows the arrest will get him back into the narcotics squad. Exley pulls the rank and orders them to all proceed together. At this point, Exley realizes he has forgotten his glasses at the precinct, but he has no choice but to go through with trying to make the arrest without them. Oh, God. I, I personally thought, <laughs> like, when they kept bringing up the glasses thing, I like, like, I, I like called this. I knew yeah. that there was going to be a moment he takes them off, of course, doesn't yeah. know, Some and then Velma, he, he's going like, to, like, <laughs> miss because he can't, can't see. see without them. So I, I, I totally thought, like, when this happened, I'm like, oh, here it is, here it is. Yeah, um, they really don't... Uh, wait, did, did that happen, though? The plot thickens. Uh, this ends up not really being important because yeah. Colin and his buddies Ty Jones and Louis Fontaine are arrested without much incident. Although Exile, uh, although Exley has to deflect Carlisle's shotgun to keep him from shooting one of the suspects. <coughs> the concern with the, the concern with the glasses is just kind of used as a red herring conflict. During the questioning of the suspects and tactfully using the interrogation room, PA speakers and microphone. Exley demonstrates brilliant tactical skill, tricking the three men into believing they have informed, they have informed on each other. Uh, okay, okay. So, Wait. so th- th- this seems really, really dope, and it's a really cool idea. He has like a switch under the table, um, so like he pretty much gets. Uh, so he was interviewing like three suspects, and he has a, a a switch underneath the table that he can flip, which will like broadcast the interview in the next room where the other suspect is waiting so he makes it sound like they're like snitching on each other um, just because he's playing snippets of the conversation and uh the person and then he'll go into the next suspect's um interrogation room and be like yo he snitched he told me everything and the guy believes him because he he, he has a little bit of fake proof yeah yep yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's a really cool scene Le- leading one of them to piss their pants Yes, yeah, yeah. The infamous piss. Tape. As I recall, a similar thing happened to us um, in much lower tech when uh, we got arrested at that National Scenic Waterway and they put us in two separate cars. Yeah. And yeah. they tried to get us to inform on each other. Yeah, yeah. And we had, like, we, I don't even, we didn't even really have anything to hide, did we? We didn't have anything to hide. Um, Mark had some uh, weed or something. Yeah, he had a little bit of weed on him and. As as I recall, uh, they, like they they were you know talking to us and you know, then he kind of thought he saw an opportune moment to throw his bowl, his his pipe into the woods, <laughs> and he did, <laughs> and it like it was just hit, like tink, hit, yeah, like hit, one yeah, foot yeah, away, hit, like, like, hit, like a little rock, and it was like ding, and like made a super loud noise. She, literally, the cop turns around instantly. She's like, "Oh great, now I have to search all of you." We're thinking, nice, dude. Yeah, she's like, you just threw your pipe, didn't you? <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like that's because cops are allowed to do that. Like they can like just lie to you and be like, yeah, your friend, you know, is snitching or whatever. So I'm surprised that that tactic hasn't been used before. Maybe it has. I don't know. But it's a good idea. Like from a, yeah, absolutely from the cops. Uh, So the three suspects already have criminal records and have spent time in juvenile facilities while Exley uses this to his advantage. One of them, crying and already hysterical, the man who peed, tells Exley that... (laughs) 
Which is actually the name of the movie. The man, the man who, the man who peed. peed. <laughs> Dude, I showed you that screenplay in confidence. <laughs> um, so the man, Trump's pee tape. <laughs> the man who's crying and nearly hysterical tells Exley that he's visited the house of another man, Sylvester Fitch, so he could lo- and told he could lose his virginity to a woman held captive there. Enraged, rightly so. Bud rushes into Ty Jones's room and draws his pistol, emptying every chamber in the cylinder but one. He puts Which is the, super sick. He he puts the he puts a gun barrel in it, and it's obviously like a a revolver, so it's like six bullets, and he clicks it five times with the gun in the guy's mouth. It's it's pretty it's pretty badass. Yep. Yeah. He <clears throat> he demands the address while he's doing this. And the guy uh, number seven's in his pants. Yep. And uh, he gives it up along with that. Then a team is sent to Fitch's house. White sneaks in first, finding a young Mexican woman bound naked to a bed, obviously beaten and possibly raped. Bud finds Fitch watching TV and shoots him dead before planting a fired pistol on him. I personally really like this scene just because like using like he had cartoons blaring super mm-hmm. loud and just like this the sound design of the scene you can like hear the cartoon and it's like tense because he's looking for him yeah it reminded me of splinter cell he's like sneaking through the room he's coming up on him like he's gonna like in the back but then he comes into the room and the ankle isn't possible yeah yeah no it was cool it, yeah it used the it used the sound of the cartoon to make make the scene yeah it kind of amplifies intense, yeah. it but like it's also like comical because it's a cartoon and then when he goes in the room you can like hear the guy laughing I, I don't think he's eating a bowl of cereal, but like he should be. Well, I think he might also, like the be. guy the guy watching a cartoon and laughing after supposedly having like assaulted this woman is a very like creepy and strange juxtaposition as well. Yeah, he's definitely. Um, I think implied it's implied that he's like high, like on heroin or something. Yeah, he's a hophead. Yeah, yeah, he's oh, a grasshopper. He's a hophead. Yeah, and that's just the facts, Jack. When the victim is driven away in an ambulance, Exley tries to ask her when the three black men left her, but White stops him, waving the ambulance away. Bud seems angered that Exley is only concerned about furthering his career, which Exley counters by saying that Stenslin got what he deserved. No, yeah, no, it's it's at, and going back to that scene, it's actually super funny because like all he does to uh, to stage that scene was he shoots him. He immediately like just shoots up, just shoots a hole in the wall. Like where he where he was standing, and then puts the gun in the guy's hands. I'm yeah, like, that's literally all. That's he shoots all. it with another gun. Yeah, he he takes another gun, shoots it, and then he puts that gun. Yeah, on and the that's guy. all it would take back then. Like it'd be so insanely easy to yeah. just be like, <laughs> to just stage a crime, you know? Just end a life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when when Exley uh, says that Stenson got what he deserves, he also implies that White will have the same fate. White tries to attack Exley, but is held back. At that moment, a report is issued that the three black suspects have escaped from the precinct. Exley, talking to his stenographer, gets an address that was given by one of the black men where they had bought, where they had bought drugs. Unable to get Vossen, Exley takes Carlisle with him to the address, and they burst in to find three suspects there with their narcotics supplier. All hell breaks loose, as the drug supplier lethally shoots Carlisle multiple times until Exley shoots him. Ty Jones, ascent- 
Ty Jones attempts to grab a revolver, but he is also shot dead by Exley. Collins tries to flee to the elevator, but Exley jams his shotgun in just as the door is about to close and fires blindly into the elevator, taking him out as well. That, I really like I, I like that scene. Yeah, that too. part that, was that really badass. Really and it kind of goes back to what... Uh, it's the first time Exley's been a badass. Yeah, and it goes back to what uh, Dudley Smith was saying, that he doesn't have the guts to like shoot a fleeing suspect. Yeah, he just mercs like three guys. Yeah, and he's so about... Which uh, is so justice, sick, dude. but then in that <laughs> yeah. moment, he impressed, particularly with your use of violence as an unnecessary adjunct to the job. There's blood on your shirt. Is that an integral part of your job? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good line. There's blood on your shirt. Is that an integral part of your job? Yeah. Exley is greeted as a hero back at the station, and Smith dubs him Shotgun Ed. With the case closed, <laughs> Exley is given the department's highest decoration, the Medal of Valor. Just arguably a very shitty nickname. Yeah, shotgun ad. Yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> shitty nickname. It sounds like a fucking 50s cowboy character. Yeah, dude, it sounds like something out of like Serious Sam or like a, like a side character or something. Yeah. The uh, award that he is given kind of gives him um, respect by his other officers who had kind of hated him for the previous stuff that went down uh Vossen returns to the narcotic squad and they're like brick killed the guy and he's like it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> that gets you respect in the police force Vossen returns to the narcotic squad and the badge of honor tv show in the meantime patchett breaks ground on an ambitious project a free a freeway running from the eastern sections of la to the beaches of santa monica one he is heavily invested in who, who is that? Who, who, who uh, Patchett, the guy who yeah, runs. Yeah, the, yeah, and they give that Manifest Destiny speech about like, you know, downtown to the beach in 20 minutes. Which this this might be a good time to talk about how much L.A. Noir ripped directly out of this movie. Like, Yeah, and even, it, it, it's not just this. They've, it's, yeah, it's based that movie's on, it's based based on, on so on, many noirs from the 40s and yeah, 50s. Yeah, and based on the real movies? criminal cases. No, 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 no. The game L.A. Noir. Oh, the game. Based, yeah. Like, Literally, missions in that game are the same title as a movie from the 40s and 50s. Oh, it, it, okay. It's, so they're, they're it's not, not ripping it off. It's almost it's reimagining like, yeah. it. And yeah. mo- most of the cases are also based on real cases from the time. Which a lot of the gotcha. movies are e- also. Even your, yeah. your captain in the... Um, your, your, your captain is the same guy Looks like as the, the Irish captain guy. from Ellen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from, from the movie. Yeah, he, he looks same like him, actor. he sounds like him, he says boyo and shit. I think it's the same actor. Yeah, it might be. I don't know if it's the same actor, actually. I think it might be a different actor, but it could be. But yeah. Uh, for Patchett to be able to do that, he has blackmailed a councilman into approving the project with some compromising photos showing him sleeping with Lynn. Uh, so so then Bud White eventually begins a romantic relationship with Lynn after we see him kind of almost like stalking her. It's kind of weird that they just are able to jump into that, but he's like... Well, and he treats her really, really bad, like, at first. Like, he's just like, ah, oh, well, you fuck for money. No, Exley says that, doesn't he? Or is it like... I don't know. I, yeah. can't, remember. I can't remember when Bud meets Yeah, him. I don't think Bud is that... Uh... I can't even remember. When, when's the first time they they meet? He just, like, goes over there and, like, starts fucking her? Well, he's like watching her place and sees people go in and then he knocks on the door. She's like, like, oh, you're a cop. And he's like, yep. And then they like kind of talk. My turn. He kind of opens up. He, I, Tim, I think you're thinking of Exley. Um, when, okay. Yeah. 
So anyway, White eventually begins a romantic relationship with Lynn and continues his work with Smith beating mobsters at the Victory Hotel. The work soon begins to burn White out, and his affair with Lynn gradually softens his vicious demeanor. I totally missed that whole subplot of him beating people up at a hotel. I didn't. I yeah, it did was it, it was like anything. his punishment for the initial thing that Exley uh, was a witness for, and he refused to. Oh, he refu- oh, okay. He refused to snitch. So he well, he was just like, "You'll be my muscle." Well, he's a fall so guy, a and then he job. became the muscle guy. The muscle. Okay, but yeah, so the, the muscle job was that, and okay. then yeah, he he he. He gave him a like an olive branch, like, "Hey, but you can be my muscle." Yeah, yeah. but hey, you can beat up these people at the hotel. <laughs> yeah, so there's always that. There's always that to fall back on. Um. So later, we see uh, during a campaign rally at the set of Badge of Honor, we saw Vasen approached by Danny DeVito, Sid Hudgens, uh, with another job. There's a funny little. Uh, conversation they have when kevin spacey greets him he's like oh how's it hanging and danny devito is yeah down, down around my ankles, ankles. yeah <laughs> i thought that was a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> um, which still i feel like wouldn't be that that big of a dick honestly I, yeah I, I danny like devito's pretty short guy crotch to ink crotch to danny devito's ankles is what like do you think that danny devito's like um torso is longer than his legs or do you think his legs are longer than his torso or do you I don't think know. there's can we similar... find a naked? Can we look at like a naked image of him from Always Sunny and do some? Yeah, like... I think there's. I think he's in his underwear quite often in Always Sunny, isn't he? Yeah, we could do. A, we could do a little size analysis. I I I think that his torso is bigger than his legs, but I think so too. I think that's probably true. Oh, we can't all be in agreement. That's not fun. Well, I mean, look at his legs. They're fucking. Does he have like dwarfism or? No, he has. He has some kind of different congenital thing. Uh Looking it up. Hudgens is deliberately setting up LA District Attorney Lowe in a blackmail scheme by arranging a sexual encounter with Matt Reynolds, the same young actor that uh, Jack Vossen arrested on Christmas. In the uh, Christmas pot. Danny DeVito nude. <laughs> Why is that Danny funny? Danny DeVito nude. <laughs> what is that one of the top searches? No, I thought that's what you were about to type in. <laughs> he has multiple epiphyseal uh, dysplasia. Uh, I don't care, dude. I just want to know what's longer. It's torso or his legs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sam... So yeah, they're they're attempting to arrange a sexual encounter with that young actor who was caught smoking pot in the beginning by Kevin Spacey. Um, oh, that was the same actor. It well, it's the same character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yep, yep. Yeah, he, like he, he, had, he has that free card. Or? No, no, no. He has no idea because there's a moment when Danny DeVito walks away. And so it's that guy in Kevin Spacey. And he's like, you look familiar. Do I know you from something? He's like, oh. And then he's like, oh, Florida Lees. And that's when he's like, oh, Florida Lees. Yeah, yeah. And then they he gets information on the prostitution ring through that because that guy works for the prostitution ring. And Matt he, Reynolds does? Yeah, and he doesn't know he's a cop. So he gives him information not knowing that. And he's like, oh, yeah, one of the parties, like the prostitution parties. That's where I've seen you from. And that's how he gets the oh. idea that it is a prostitute. Like that he gets more information on it. And I think he drops Patchett's name at that point. 
But um, Kevin Spacey had been looking, like he had been trying to call, he had been trying to figure out what that is. But yeah, that guy not realizing that he's the arresting officer when he got caught with marijuana just thinks that he is a he is a guy who um, went, went to the prostitution ring. Gotcha. Um, I missed that part. Yeah. Is, um, is this is this when they're at the party and they're gonna go get him to go fuck that uh, the the AG or whatever? Yep. Uh, yeah, the district attorney, the DA. Um, so after he walks away and goes to the district attorney, that's when uh, Kevin Spacey asks um, Danny DeVito uh, if he has knowledge about Patchett's prostitution ring because he just got more information about it. And I believe that's the first time he gets his name. Um, and Danny DeVito says that he doesn't have any information on it because it's not really someone that would cause a scandal. He's not like a celebrity, so he has no interest in that um after that kevin spacey goes to a bar and uh he gets some drinks with the 50 dollars that sid gave him for lining up the the da having sex with the man tim are you awake yeah of course i'm awake (laughs) what are you talking about your eyes are fully closed (laughs) no they're not I'm literally looking at my computer right now. Go on. What are you talking about? (laughs) So Kevin Spacey is at the bar afterward. He's using the $50 that he received to um, buy drinks. Um, And he's kind of getting uneasy about setting Reynolds up with the DA. He kind of feels bad about it. Um, wait, 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 wait. No, which is um I, I i remember in the scene they're like oh yeah we'll get all sorts of juicy illegal stuff happening tonight and it was like was being gay illegal back then is that what they were talking about or were they talking uh, about I think them doing drugs? he's gonna blackmail him because i believe that man has a wife but was being was sodomy illegal in like the 20s or whatever yeah pretty much yeah i mean and like i mean it's crazy that vice was like a thing like they would just go around and just bust people for like fucking <laughs> they like barge insane, in on him and like drag him onto the street like half naked like oh jesus yeah that's crazy dude that's crazy actually um i kind of knew the answer to that question because uh monica looked it up uh last night when we were watching it and i think the last i think it was sodomy was illegal possible we're gonna want to double check this but I think 2003 was when it was legal everywhere in the United States. Okay. Which is which is crazy. I think Texas was like the last place. Could be wrong though. Fuck Texas. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. Uh, just kidding. So Kevin Spacey's at the bar. He decides he'll let the young actor off the hook because he, he feels bad about it. Uh, so he goes to the motel ahead of the scheduled encounter with the DA. Um, when he walks into the hotel, he found he found the uh, the young actor dead with his throat slit. Mm-hmm. Um, we then go to Bud White, um, who is suspicious of the details surrounding the night. More oh. bodies. They just yeah. keep piling up. I know. There's a lot of a lot of characters. A lot of deaths. Very. Uh, it's a dense movie. Yeah, it really is. Very epic scope. So Bud White, uh, who he's become suspicious of the Night Owl murders, so he talks to the coroner. Um, and 
uh, the coroner directs him to the files of the case um, because people have not picked him up. The coroner's kind of pissed that all the files are still there. So he starts looking through them, and he looks at a picture of the seating area, and uh, Bud notices that there's a spot of blood on the wall next to one of the tables, um, as if one of the victims was knocked out before being dragged into the men's room. Da, da, da. The doctor notes that the blood stain was Stenson's, Stenslin's blood. Uh, the food on the table and a lipstick mark on the coffee cup opposite of where Stenslin sat uh, indicate to Bud that Stenslin ha- had been there with a woman. Uh, White also remembers Stenslin saying that he had a hot date that night um, before he had, like the moments before uh, he died. He saw him that night. So he concludes that he may have a girlfriend. Uh, he is led to believe that said girlfriend was Susan Lefferts, the only other female victim uh, that night besides the uh, night shift waitress. Oh, okay. That's how that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, White sub- so White's suspicion is confirmed when he visits Lefferts' distraught mother, and she identifies Stenslin from a photograph as the man that she disapproved of that was dating her daughter. Uh, she also tells White that Stenslin had previously been seen with another man carrying a large bundle into the backyard. Carrying a lot of heroin. <laughs> uh, when White noticed that Mrs. Lefferts uh, has a towel placed at the bottom of a, of a door leading to her back sunroom to block a strong... Dude, un- this character is hilarious, by the way. She's like a... Yeah, the mom. Yeah, I th- I totally thought that she was like a, a serial killer or something because she just kind of comes off very creepy and she's very... Yeah. Very deep voice, which is which is fine, but it was just I don't know, just super fucked up. <laughs> He's a good girl. <laughs> no, she. Yeah, but anyways, he ends up finding the body uh, at her house. I'm like, so, she definitely did that. Yeah. So <laughs> so white. So white sees a towel under the back door. Uh, he goes through there, and there's an immediate strong unpleasant odor. Uh, he checks the crawl space under the house, and she's like, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah my, it's just a dead rat." Well, she's like, yeah, yeah my big my one. daughter and those two men, they 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 were they were down there. Um, so he goes down there, he opens it up, and it's immediately the stench is a lot stronger. And he finds a badly rotted corpse. Uh, look, uh, which is which is which is really funny scene because when like he 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 finds a uh, it's like covered up by like a like a tarp or like a body bag or a blanket, and when he like takes the blanket off, it's like a jump scare. Of, yeah. of of a bunch of rats just like crawling out but uh um i really noticed the sound effect they used is like a sound effect that rats would never make it's like, <laughs> and, like they all like, <laughs> like scatter away and it's just like i've never heard a rat like shriek like that like what yeah. the fuck it's just kind of funny i mean i'm sure that happens all the time in horror movies of like well, yeah. a rat doesn't sound like that like what the fuck was that scary yeah I, t- I took it as like the corpse screaming but yeah. that makes no sense uh, yeah. um <laughs> So, yeah, he searches the corpse and he finds a wallet uh, in the guy's coat. Um, much to his shock, uh, it's the body of Buzz Meeks, who is the driver, for, uh, <gasps> who, who is seen at the liquor store in the very beginning. Uh, the, man, the man that he had disarmed um, and was seen with Lefferts, the woman who is dead, and then Lynn, the woman who he, he is currently seeing. And if you're having a hard time and keeping he- track of all these characters... So, so are we. I. Yeah. yeah. So are we. Uh, so, so you not being able to see this is definitely going to be so. Very so, so Me- Meeks was Patchett's chauffeur, the man who's running this uh, prostitution ring. Duh. Um, 
What a swab uh, show for But her. Bud deliberately leaves the body behind for someone else to find and tells Leffert's mother that the stench is a big rat. She asks, was it a rat? He says, yeah, a big one. Which was a great line. Yeah, it's a great line. line. It's another example of kind of a, wait, wait, so- a snappy, witty, quick dialogue from noirs of the 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah. Was it a rat? Which yeah, they, which they tried to replicate throughout this movie, but I, I feel like the dialogue wasn't as good as some of the some of the dialogue from 40s and 50s. But then again, that's when like audio and microphones weren't as good. And I feel like people just talked fast and it like they weren't able to like focus on a specific line. That's kind of just my analysis of it. But like they kind of seen enough. Yeah, they kind of would just speed through things and it was just really dense. And if you didn't catch the joke, you missed it kind of thing. Like they didn't really dwell on it or like draw attention to it. Yeah. So it was a lot of like people doing one-liners, but it, they just kind of blow past it. A lot, of, I, a lot of the dialogue did stand out to me, where I'm like, "Oh, that was like really, really yeah." Dope. And it, and they they did definitely get like the, uh, they they had a lot of like quotable like uh, uh, like lines from the the twenties, you know, like, uh, and and that's all the news to print, or like something, or like, yeah. like bupkis and and shit like that. They think it's just another Hollywood homicide, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, the guy's as yeah. cool as they come. Yeah, that's talking about the dead uh, actor Reynolds when they say Hollywood homicide. There's actually another uh, line that was pretty good. Um, so then we get a quick scene with uh, Vossen visiting the coroner to get information on Reynolds. Wait, the, uh, j- j- really quick, going back to that. Wait, so Bud White killed that guy that was under the... Oops. No, wait, wait, but so Bud White back, found Bud him. White. We don't know who killed that man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bud White found him. Got you, got you. Okay. Wait, wait, but he purposely left the body. Yeah, because he didn't want to be involved. He didn't want people to know that the body was there. He is just figuring out information for himself because yeah, he's yeah. kind he's of trying like to figure it out. He's not working the case or trying to... Exactly. Yeah, okay. So he, does, he's, he just left he it wanna, for someone else wanna, to find. He doesn't want it, He wants the information he's on for the himself. He's trying to figure it out himself. Gotcha. When you said he left the body, I, I was thinking like, oh, he killed him and left the body. When you no, said no, 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 no. I got you. No. So then we get a quick scene where... Uh, um, we go to the coroner who is giving information on Reynolds' death, the young actor who is going to set up the DA through having like a sexual encounter with him. Uh, and they walk in and the coroner tells him the contents of his stomach. Uh, Frankfurter, French fries, alcohol, and sperm. Hell of a last meal, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just a very yeah. quick, very quick, uh, very quick scene. Uh, we get away from that. The coroner is definitely one of like the wittiest. Hell of the, uh, a last meal. Out of the bunch. Uh, and then we're back at the station. Exley begins to have second thoughts about the Night Owl case as well, similar to how Bud White had previously. They're both kind of feeling uneasy about it. Um, he is with uh, Inez Soto, the woman who is tied up at that home uh, in being assaulted by those men, um, the suspected rape victim. Um, as he's bringing her out of the hospital, there's a bunch of press. But right before that, she mentions, oh, yeah, I don't remember when the men left. It was just kind of, I just said, like. I, I just made up a time because I wanted to get them in trouble. Exactly. She she kind of was, it's, it, it's implied that she was forced by the officers to agree with it because they're like, oh, we're pretty certain it's these guys. So if you say it was this time, they'll, we'll, we'll like, put them to justice. Um so he kind of realizes in that moment that the the potential time they left was made up. Um, so they couldn't have 
uh, done the... Yeah, they couldn't have been the shooters of yeah. the Night Owl. Yeah, and yeah, also, yeah. like, the press, when they're, like, wheeling her out, <laughs> rape victim wheeled out by Night Owl vigilante or hero or something. Like, it was very... Yeah, they they are making a spectacle of her, which is definitely something you don't want to do to a victim of something that horrible. Um, so essentially, after he gets that information, it leads him to go to the coroner um, that White had spoken to earlier. Uh, Exley follows White's lead to Mrs. Leffert's house, um, where we just previously were. Um, and he also finds uh, Officer Me- or former Officer Meek's remains under the house. Uh, he calls it in. Um, and they take him to the morgue, demanding the identity, because uh, Bud White took the, the the wallet, so he doesn't know who it is. The body's super decomposed, so they have no idea who this body is. Mm, why did he do that? Because he's trying to figure it out, and he just took the wallet as, as his for own himself. as yeah. his own evidence. Okay. Yeah, he's he's kind he, of not not to purposely throw off the cops. Per no, se, no, no, no. He's he's on a like a one man uh, vendetta trying mission. to figure it out. Um, so, uh, Exley calls in Meeks's death, or they don't know it's Meeks yet, they, he calls in the body. Uh, he demands the identity of the body from the coroner and says that the coroner should not share it with anyone else except for him. He then goes to Kevin Spacey's character, Vossen, and asks him to help investigate further details on the Night Owl case. These two were kind of at odds up until this point. They didn't really like each other. Um, because of him snitching in the beginning, he kind of didn't respect him. Uh, but he good eventually, cop, bad cop. Type yeah, yeah, he eventually convinces him um, when he when Exley shares the story of uh, his father's death, who was killed by a random mugger who is never identified, uh, but whom Exley has named Rolo Tomasi. Rolo Tomasi, just to give him a personality in his own mind. Uh, Vossen agrees to help Exley if Exley will help him solve Reynolds' murder, who he feels he feels bad about because he kind of was the one who had him in that situation. So now they're a team. So this is Kevin Spacey and uh, Guy. Uh, yeah, Guy Pierce. Yep, Guy Pierce. Um, so then at a certain point, while they're out looking for leads, uh, we get a scene with Vossen and Exley going around trying to gather information. They stop at a restaurant where one of the enforcers is having dinner with a woman that looks like Lana Turner. I love this scene. <laughs> Exley goes hard at them and says he knows about the prostitution ring and calls out the Turner lookalike for being a prostitute. She is extremely insulted by this and throws a drink. Like a like a two-bit whore or something. Yeah. <laughs> pretty... She's like, get away from our table. Yeah, and she is just furious about this and throws a drinks in his in his face and in the background you see kevin spacey kind of laughing yeah it was great um and then uh at this point uh kevin spacey informs exley that this is in fact the real actress it's not a lookalike that was there yeah that this is lana turner <laughs> yeah and then <laughs> so they so they go back to the do you, do you did you see him uh did you notice that he was like still laughing like as they're walking to the car yeah like, they walk to the like car this. well well exley isn't laughing and then they walk to the car no. and then exley straight up laughs he's like oh god yeah, i yeah. cannot believe it. but kevin spacey on the on the scene when uh like right after that it cuts to them walking back to the yeah, car he's like, kevin spacey's in the background he's, and he's still smiling up, yeah. and like cracking up yeah, yeah it's really, then, really good and, acting and then it's a moment when they kind of just have a laugh together for the first time they were kind of at each other's throats throughout the whole movie but then it's kind of a bonding moment for them yeah and they kind of laugh at this moment and then at this moment actually fuck <laughs> at this moment actually asks Vossen to tell bud white to see what he is up to 
Yet another allegation. <laughs> Your eyes are just closed <laughs> this whole time, Tim. No, they're not. Okay, so uh, Vossen tails White to Formosa's bar. Formosa, yeah. Vossen tails Formosa. White. Vossen tails White to Formosa bar, where White catches up with Mickey Cohen's former enforcer, Johnny Stampinato. Johnny Stampinato. Yeah, he had like the most classic gangster name out of anybody in the entire movie. Yeah. Who was this? Uh, he was he was introduced in the very beginning. He's the enforcer of that. There's a scene when like a, a bottle of champagne pops in the first like minute, and it's when it's showing Mickey Cohen at a ball, and oh. then his enforcer that like, grabs a gun and is like, eh. <laughs> mm. he thought it was a gunshot. He was ready to shoot. Oh, okay. Uh, so anyway, White catches up with Mickey Cohen's former enforcer, Johnny Stampinato. And finds out after roughly squeezing the man's crotch that me <laughs> that Meeks had come into a large supply of heroin. <laughs> Meeks had come. In. That was so hard not to spit my water <laughs> out right there. <laughs> uh, White concludes that Meeks was murdered for the heroin. Uh, Vossen and Exley next see White at Lynn Bracken's home. Uh, Vossen remembers Florida Lease and realizes that Lynn is one of Patchett's prostitutes. Uh, and they pay Patchett coming together. Yep. They then pay Patchett a visit to get some answers for Vossen's case. As they're leaving, a call comes in telling them that Meek's body has been ID'd. Exley sends Vossen to to get the news while Exley pays a visit to Bracken. Uh, refusing to uh, Bracken then refuses to answer Exley's questions, and she then seduces him while Sid Hudgens photographs. Photographs them both from behind a one-way mirror, which is a hilariously creepy scene. Danny yeah, that, DeVito just like, <laughs> yeah, his laugh, full creep it. mode, and like just snapping pics. Super weird. <laughs> yeah, they they like they definitely typecast him for that role. They're just like, yeah, he's got to be nubby. <laughs> oh yeah, we did a nubby, uh, a nubby Nick. Yeah. Vossen going through old records finds a connection between Dudley Smith. Meeks and Stenslin. He goes to Smith's house to inquire about the work that Meeks and Stenslin did for Smith on some vice cases they worked 12 years earlier. What Vossen isn't aware of is that Dudley Smith is in fact the Night Owl ringleader, something he only realizes when Smith suddenly produces a pistol and shoots him after he admits he's not yet confided his lead to Exley. Which was, uh, I have to say, very predictable. That scene, yeah. like he's the, like, he's like cooking for him or like yeah. something or like making drinks I in the knew kitchen. Something was and, gonna happen. Yeah, there. yeah. And but, he, but when he starts asking him about a pistol, uh, though, like he literally manufactures a gun on sight. <laughs> what? Confusing people. Go on. And <laughs> you're confusing people in an already confusing script. Yeah, this is a very. Uh, this is a great. <laughs> a great first film to go through <laughs> yeah yeah this is like definitely like i i need to watch this again yeah i'm gonna be honest i saw this movie two and a half times dude like yeah know. it's very uh very very thick plot lot lots going I on i definitely never learned the character's name except for stenslin because he's the guy who died yeah yeah like i knew guy, like I, the I guy knew, the guy who beat up the mexicans and then died i knew white i knew Dougie, <laughs> what was that guy's name? Dudley Smith. Dudley, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, teach you who was Dougie. Okay, um, so 
right right before uh did you Kentucky? right before dudley smith pulls the pistol on him uh Vossen says that the reason he's in on this or like trying to figure it out is because he wants to do right by Reynolds, that young actor who was killed. And uh, Smith says uh, a, kind of a good line. He says, don't start doing the right thing, boy. You haven't had the practice, implying that he kind of was a dirty cop leading up until that point and that he shouldn't get into, you know, doing the right thing and morality, mm-hmm. justice, all that and he says that essentially right before he asks uh, Vossen if he had told Exley about this uh, information he dug up from the records about Dudley Smith's connection to Meeks and Stensland. So once, yeah, I, once I did have a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of beef with that scene just because of how like obviously transparent it was. Like he's like uh, like Kevin Spacey is like sitting in in a chair and then he's like telling the captain like everything he knows. And then uh, the the captain has his, like back turned to him, and he's asking him like the like who else did you tell or whatever, and it's just so obvious that he's just about to shoot him. And sure enough, turns around, pops him, yep, shoots him right yeah. in the heart, directly in the heart, a single little hole that just starts leaking blood. And Kevin Spacey's face in this moment is yeah, so, so good, he so good, classic he just Irish is, goodbye. He's just yeah. smiling, looking at him. He's you can see him just it registering in his brain. He's just smiling. Uh, and in this moment, he remembers what Exley confided in him about his father's killer, um, about the name that he had given him, um, just this nameless guy that killed his father. And he has one last thing to say to Smith before he expires. And he says that name. He says, Rolo Tomasi. And then he dies and he keeps this like smile, this dead smile on his face. Like for like thirty seconds, I feel like it's like a really good scene where like uh, he, he, I don't know, he he dies, <laughs> he dies, and he's just like staring uh, forward, and it like the camera like lingers on his face for like thirty seconds, and it's like just crazy that he was able to to keep that uh, expression yeah, for so just long, like the unblinking smile. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they use deep blinking technology. I don't know. Um, so later, uh, <laughs> S- Smith announces the next day that the department will suspend all other cases until Jack's killer is found. Uh, he talks directly to Exley about the only lead, which was Jack's last word, suspecting that Rolo Tomasi isn't a placeholder name, but an actual person that Vossen is acquainted with. Exley manages to keep a straight face as he realizes that Dudley could only know that name if he was the one who shot Vossen. He lies and said he says he knows nothing about the name. Okay, so how how does that work? That because uh, Exley only ever told Vossen that he's yeah, the yeah, only yeah. person that he ever told that, and so it was kind of a moment. But couldn't he have like told Dudley or? Yeah, but it with the timing of it, the only time he would have spoke to him was that night that he was murdered. Mm. So it was kind of him leaving a breadcrumb for him to right, find right. out. And so he says Rolo Tomasi to him, thinking that he'll relay it back to Exley, which right, is kind yeah, of yeah, like, code like, that like, hey, this is the guy. Yeah. So he asked, he asked, uh, he asked Exley like, hey, uh, hey I need you, you to know, look, in, look, look into a name for me. Uh, it's Rolo Tomasi. Yeah, I heard you guys were looking into Rolo Tomasi. What do you have on him? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, so then Dudley meets with Clever White. Girl. Yep. So then Dudley meets with White and criticizes him for what he deems a lack of enthusiasm concerning his job. He also tells White that he's going, 
that he'll be going to the Victory Motel to interrogate the man he believes last saw Vossen alive. It turns out to be Sid Hudgens. Dudley asks him a few questions which don't provide much information. However, during the beating uh, administered by White, uh, Hudgen talks about how Pierce Patchett uses his women for blackmail. He mentions that he had photo- photographed a cop having sex with Lynn. White becomes enraged, thinking that Hudgens spied on him. He turns, he turns Hudgens' chair over and rushes out to the reporter's car. In the trunk, he finds pictures, not of himself with Lynn, but of Lynn with Exley. White becomes further enraged and drives off. After White leaves, Smith and Browning suffocate Hudges, who protests, saying that he was part of the team with them. They double-crossed him. Uh, and just used him to used him to uh, get White the information about Exley uh, having an affair with Lynn, um, and then kill him, tying up the loose end. So he was trying to pit uh, White against Exley, and he was he was so he was trying to pit White uh, against Exley and have white do the dirty work of killing Exley. Exactly. Off. And he knows that he's a hothead. So by doing that, who he knows, it's is... easy to blame on the guy who always pops off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knows that him and Lynn are like seeing each other. So it's, there's extra motive behind it. Um, we were then, we then see Exley who's checking the records for the arrest warrant book of buzz, buzz Meeks and finds nothing. The record keeper mentions that if it's not there, they must have been destroyed. He asks where to find the daily logbooks that would have the same information. She tells him that it's in the basement. Uh, When he goes down to check the daily logbooks, he finds that Smith has signed off on nearly all of Meeks and Stanslin's work for many years and realizes the connection between them is prominent. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, White... White visits Lynn's house furiously and jealously demanding to know what her encount- about her encounter with Exley. When she tries to calm him down, he hits her, uh, bruising her face. White leaves in a fury. Which is significant because he was so against... Yep. Yeah, he's become yep. the thing he hates. Yeah, this, yeah. which I, did, I didn't catch, I didn't catch, uh, this, catch that. This oh. is a big mo- moment because White's father was abusive to his mother, and he always made a point to protect women from abusive men. He has become what he hates. Oh, on the nuts, Timmy. Yep, that's exactly what I <laughs> down for that. Uh, White then finds Exley in the records room at the station and attacks him after showing him the photo of he and Lynn together, which it's a great face by Exley when he shows him that picture and he like registers it yeah. and then he's like, oh, fuck. Realize what's happened. Yep. Uh, Exley- he's also realizing that... Uh, Hudgens is like involved in it too or whatever so he's realizing a lot of things in that moment yeah yep because he uh Hudgens was the one that photographed him sleeping with her so it was all a setup the whole thing was a setup yep so he's realizing like holy shit this is like a big conspiracy yeah uh Exley manages to fight White off and realizing that Dudley Smith intended for White to find the picture so he would be provoked into killing Exley giving Dudley leverage over White uh, there's a funny moment at a certain point during That's the end of the fight. Gamble. Uh, at a certain point at the end of the fight, um, they, it's kind of diffused, but Bud White randomly just throws a chair out the window after he's like <laughs> calmed down. He like picks up a chair and throws it out the window, and he's like, "All right, we're working together." <laughs> I was like, "What?" Yeah, White, 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 White destroys like, this final tantrum. White just White uh, 
has a very bad relationship with chairs in this movie. There's that the, the scene in the like in the interrogation scene where like he's like holding onto a chair and just oh, like yeah. crushes it. Yeah, he like, breaks it. Yeah, I thought that scene was pretty was pretty cool. But yeah. like yeah, that, that, that scene just kind of shows like his like uh, spazziness and also how strong he is. <laughs> so he turns into the Hulk, essentially. Yeah. And fucking destroys all the chairs that that he can see. Yeah. At this point, the two stop their battle and begin to review everything they've uncovered about the conspiracy. Meek, Stenslin, Vossen, Reynolds, and the missing heroine are all linked. Exley now realizes that the black men that were charged with the night owl attack were set up. And when he and Vossen showed up, Browning and Carlisle were already there and had planted the shotguns and were going to kill the three men so that no questions would be asked if they were caught resisting arrest. Wait, wait can you read that part again or explain that Recall to me really that? Quick? Yeah. So they realized in that moment that when they showed up at those three men's home who they suspected being the night owl killers. Yeah. And the two cops were already in the garage and like, oh, we just found these shotguns in this oh, car. Oh, okay. They're God, realizing they were actually planting them. those two cops planted it and that they didn't want them there because what they were going to do is plant the guns and then go in and kill the men and claim they resisted arrest and be like, oh, it's wrapped up. The guns in the car, they're dead. They're gotcha. the ones who did it. So they were they were like henchmen in this. Uh... Yep. They're, they're, the, they're the right hand men of uh, Dudley Smith, who's the chief. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so they realized in that moment that that was their intention and that they just kind of stumbled upon it at the wrong moment. And then they just kind of went with it and they arrested the men in order to, to piece it all together. The two agree to work as partners, even at the expense of Exley's reputation for solving the night owl murder case, which was already solved and was what built his career. There's a great, uh, couple lines between the two when, uh, when white says but the night owl made you you want to tear that all down yeah, yeah. and actually responds with a wrecking ball want to help swing it yeah yeah. Super, yeah super badass line that's the moment when you know that they're they're together and they're uh, for sure fucking or something well yeah they're just they're <laughs> just in this together the two strongest forces left of the movie they they know they're what officially they know. the good guys yep they're ready they're ready to take this whole thing good down. cop and bad cop working together yep to uh, take down worse cops yep they then go to lowe's office who's the district attorney that they were going to frame um through his sexual um encounter his with illegal with, butt w- stuff w- yeah with the sexual encounter with the with the young actor who was murdered um so they go to his office and demand wiretaps for dudley smith the captain uh Lowe refuses and further refuses to divulge any information about re- about the Reynolds murder and d- and dismisses them stepping into the office bathroom white then shoves the DA's head into the toilet and dang- and then dangles him out the window that scene was fucking awesome when he was uh, d- yeah. dangling out that window yeah that was really well done breaks him through the wood like uh, yeah it was kind of weird i don't know there was like a fence like yeah it was like uh, it wasn't like a fence in the window like a, yeah yeah uh, so then he's dangling him out the window, low caves, and tells him that Reynolds, literally like on some like Suge Knight shit, like yeah, hanging like grabbing his leg and like there's there's onlookers him. below. It's pretty intense, pretty badass. Uh, so oh, there, there was another good line when um she's like, "Do you want me to call the cops?" And he's like, "These are the cops." Oh yeah, that yeah, was pretty cool. that is a good line. Uh, so as he's being dangled out the window, low caves, and tells him that Reynolds was killed because he was present when 
when he and Smith argued over the assumption of the Cohen drug dealing racket, Lowe was allowed to live because of, the in, because of his influence and because he promised not to prosecute them. Bud and Ed agree that their next stop is Patchett's house. When they arrive at Patchett's house, they find that they're too late, as Dudley or someone working for him has slit Patchett's wrists and made it look like a suicide. Believing that Lynn had some knowledge of Patchett's plan, they arranged to have her taken to a nearby police station for safety. It kind of is a moment when they're like, oh, he's tying up loose ends. Oh, Lynn. And then they like run off to go yeah, save yeah. her. Very small pools of blood for having him yeah. be uh, bled out, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, just like uh, maybe a size of like a dinner plate's worth of blood. Yeah, it looked like a bowl of cranberries. Fake yeah. blood was expensive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, In 1997. <laughs> so they arranged for her to go to the police station for safety. Uh, Ex- Exley goes there and talks to her, saying Bud feels great remorse for beating her. Um, White goes to Sid Hudgens' office and finds that Smith has dumped his body there, but the detectives know it'll be hard to pin it on anybody given the number of people that Sid dug up trash on for Hush Hush. Pretty much he's got a lot of enemies. It's going to be hard to... Wait, who is that? Uh, Danny DeVito. Oh, He's dumped at his office, and they're like, oh, we have no idea. He had a lot of enemies, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, And while Bud is there, he receives a call telling him to meet Exley at the Victory Motel. That's another cool scene. I don't know if you um, have recalled that yet, but uh, when they, they, they kill Danny DeVito... Yeah. Um But yeah, like that that that's really a cool scene where he's like but, but I but I thought uh you me and Patches were were partners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh Dudley like puts on is that his name? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm never I'm never too sure but he puts on a glove and uh just covers his yeah. mouth cuz he strangles him. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty badass. Yeah. So then Exley and Bud White both got calls um, to meet at the Victory Motel. When they arrive, they both realize that the other hadn't called them. So they kind of realize that it's a setup and they were uh, sent there because it's a vulnerable location. Realizing this, they're like, oh, oh fuck, we can't leave. Like, we don't have enough time to yeah, leave. No, I, I, and they, I there's a good scene of them standing there and then, like, headlights appear in different spots behind the house. Yeah, car doors. They, like, hear several cars appear in a circle around them. And they determined that they can't, they don't have time to escape, but they just grab guns. Why were they sent? But I thought they agreed to meet there. No, 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 no. They thought that the other person told them because they got it through the police department, but it was in fact Dudley Smith telling them to go there. So he said one tells the other. Yes. So they realized that the other hadn't told them to be there and that they're cornered. So they grab all their guns and go into one of the cabins. Like a final stand, which is, this is a great scene. So they hold up in a in the same cabin where Sud hit where Sid Hudgens was murdered. Uh, Smith's men approach the cabin and White and Exley open fire. A fierce gunfight ensues, which is pretty fun. They like board up a bunch of the windows, and then they can like hear people outside. So they'll like drop the the furniture in front of the window of people like trying to get in, and then just shoot them. And they it's just Russell like, Crowe hides in the in the in the floor. Yep, yep. At a certain point, he goes in the floor and he can see like the ankles of people and just shoots them with a shotgun. Pretty badass. Just like a, a big bloodbath. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's and this is this is one one of my 
arguments uh, or one of my like small complaints about the movie is I think it should have ended right after that scene when um well I actually keep keep going with your synopsis yeah so that so they're in the gunfight they kill a lot of the men they eventually uh, kill all of Smith's men however they're then confronted by Smith himself who walks into the door after they're both like kind of kind of had a lot going on so they're they're kind of at the end they think they killed everyone and then Dudley Smith walks in and he shoots white uh, who falls to the ground um, Smith then turns his gun on the cornered Exley who had been shot already and was kind of on the floor and Bud White was protecting him but Bud White got shot so he so he is also on the floor um, so then Smith turns his gun onto Exley and in that moment, Exley uh, says, Rolo Tomasi. Uh, Smith, who is trying to figure out who that is, asks who the man is. So he st- it stops him from, from killing him because he's like, who is that? Yes, yeah, exactly. He doesn't want any. He's, he's tying up all yep, the loose ends. Exactly. He wants to f- make sure there's not another man involved. Um, and Exley tells him that it it's actually him and that he knows that he killed his father because he's like the man who evades the law and that he must be the man who killed his father but not literally i don't think right now he uh, like i think literally that, he goes i think that he is i think you're speaking more like like ah oh, well i don't know I don't i'm know. not I sure that's a good question um in this moment smith hears uh police cars coming because there's a huge gunfight someone reports it so there's a bunch of police cars coming Uh, so he hears the approaching police cars and tells Exley to walk out with him, promising to further his career if he cooperates with him, and they kind of can explain it together. Uh, he also tells Ed to show his badge as they walk towards the police cars, like with their hands in the air showing their badge so they don't get shot by the other police. As Smith walks away towards the police cars about to come over the horizon, Exley shoots him in the back. Yeah, super badass. Shoots moment. him directly in the back, which is a tie to earlier in the film when uh, Dudley Smith himself said that Exley doesn't have what it's what it takes to shoot a fleeing suspect in the back, and that he's too focused on justice, and mm. that he'll never be able to kill. Nice. Didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, uh, it's it. That that was a really cool scene because um, pretty much it, it looks like Dudley's gonna get away with it because. Never mind. We can just cut that part out. um so then he shoots he he's shot smith in the back and then he does follow what he said and walks out holding his badge and that's um, where i think the police that's where i think the movie should have ended right there because that's it's symbolic because it's i don't know it's like his like full like transformation and like also he's like this is like what a police officer is he like shoots dudley who is also doing the same thing um I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. It probably could have wrapped up at that point, but there are a couple things I think they wanted to touch on. Um, so then after that, it's either the next day or something, and we see Exley sitting in the same interrogation room where he pulled that fancy stuff with the PA system. Um, so he's the one being interrogated about what happened. Uh, Exley explains the, the intricate connection of Dudley Smith, Meeks, Stenslin, all that. He pretty much tells everything that he just found out. And we see the DA and the new chief of police and all these people watching through a through a mirror, like his interrogation, and they're thinking, "Oh no, this mm-hmm. is gonna, 
this is going to screw up people's... It's going to look bad. This is going to look really bad. People are not going to trust the police. We can't possibly say that our old chief, chief of police who was just gunned down was actually, like, the leader the of this crime syndicate. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was going to take over for Mickey Cohen. We can't possibly let that happen. Um, and it's just going to ruin the department's reputation. Um, in this moment, Exley kind of gets that, and he starts laughing and smiling as well. And they come back in, and they kind of... They're like, he, he couldn't have hurt us. Yeah, and he can, they kind of float this idea that the only way to get out of this is if they glorify Dudley Smith, um, kind of making him a hero uh, with Exley's story and his help. Um, and this is when Exley continues to smile and laugh, and they ask him why he's laughing, and he says, well, you'll need one more hero. And so he he knows that he's going to be highly regarded and decorated as this hero if they're going to lie about Dudley Smith because he was alongside him and he's one of the lone survivors. Um, and in this moment, he kind of... It's kind of symbolic. I, I agree with you that it could have ended, but this is kind of symbolic because it's him agreeing that, like, in his in his mind, justice was someone being brought to justice in the eyes of the law and charged. But in this moment, just it, he already got justice because he killed this man, even though he stopped all of, uh, he stopped all of it. And even though it's not going to be on the, on the record that this man was a, like the crook, but he killed him and he prevailed and his career is going forward. So he is kind of, he agrees that the reputation of the police is more important. Exactly. Than, uh, and he is going to, the then, great, good, he's going to then further, like their reputation and continue it through good police work um, if he allows this to happen, mm -hmm. which he agrees to. And then in the final scene, uh, Exley is presented with the LAPD Medal of Valor. Uh, he, he spots Lynn at the ceremony and walks out with her. In her car is Bud White bandaged and recovering from his wounds. He's alive. The, yeah, this was kind of surprising. It seemed very much like he was dead. Yeah, well, it like, showed him getting shot in the face. Yeah. So, so he survives, and then there's the question of, well, then he would have been questioned too. And I think he was, but I think the reason that it works out is because he was kind of... He got his tongue shot out. He was slightly a crooked cop, so they don't want him connected with this because it kind of undercuts the whole, like, Exley being, like, the up-and-up, like, good guy. But if Bud White is attached to it, people will have doubts. So they kind of make a deal with Bud... Bud White that he can like leave like he's leaving the police force and he um, isn't discharged I think it's more like a kind of like a pension thing mm -hmm. um, so he's in the car that Lynn walks Exley back out to um, Lynn tells Exley that they're going to the, her hometown of Bisbee Arizona Ed and Bud shake hands and then uh, Lynn and Bud drive off into the sunset. Into the sunset, and bet and Bud looks back and waves to Exley, who's standing in front of the police station, and they have a little wave. Credits roll. We hear "Accentuate the Positive" by Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, which is a great jam. Good, good ending to the film. Uh, I believe it started with Bing Crosby too, didn't it? Not sure. I couldn't tell you, okay. but. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the whole credits. Did you guys notice during the credits that there's like a, there's a cut to like kind of an old looking TV show, 
like the yeah. footage from a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of confusing to me. And I had to look it up, but it was supposedly supposed to be footage of the Badge of Honor TV okay. show. And then at the end of it, they show a little um, title screen that says dedicated to uh, Jack uh, Vossen. Like, it's just to commemorate um, the fallen officer, Kevin Spacey's character. Uh, so it was just footage of that TV show. Oh, the fake th- TV I, show? Yeah, I thought it had more meaning, kind of, but it was just kind of a, a little bonus of that. A little boner. Yeah, but that that's the film. Um, I think we were all thinking of one thing, which is the parallels between this and L.A. Noir. Cole Phil- Phelps of the main character in L.A. Noir. Very similar to Ed Exley. Definitely. Um, many parallels to the story, like many other noirs, but it, it did seem very rooted in this story. Oh, yeah. I mean, like the 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 whole... I mean, almost the whole story was from LA County. Yeah, Rachel. like the main overarching story, I feel like, was pulling from this a lot. Individual cases were pulling from other noir films. But yeah, the over like the character arc of Cole Phelps is totally this. And then there's your partner when you're on the vice deck, and, the vice and the, the captain. De- yeah, the vice desk. I think that that very much was like Kevin Spacey's character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the guy on the vice desk. Um, fuck, what's that guy's name? Um, what are you talking about? Like the the character of the video? The guy yeah, the, the character suit. on the vice. Yeah, the character on the vice desk. He's oh, very like Hollywood. He's got the yeah, nice yeah, suits. Yeah. He's a ladies man. Yeah, and then the, then the the overarching story with uh, the guy taking over Mickey Cohen's rackets—that's literally in L.A. Noir. Like, that's like, true. oh yeah, Mickey Cohen's gone. Like, we're taking it. Like, it's like almost word for word, exactly pulled from that. Which I don't know. I guess I I feel stupid for not knowing that because that that makes me view the game so much differently. So I was like, oh, this is like a pretty decent story, but I guess. Uh, I guess a lot it was, of it's real. Yeah. Well, I, I just didn't know that they, they pulled so heavily from this movie. Well, I mean, they, again, it's, it's not that they pulled heavily from the movie. I think Mickey Cohen is a real guy. Well, yeah, no. Yeah. And no, Mickey I'm, Cohen's saying, in L.A. Noir as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there's, so it's like, did they really Mickey. pull from the movie, or are they just at risk of portraying, you know, the same story similarly in parts? Well, I mean, the story of, like, these characters isn't real but yeah mickey cohen it, it, it's like historical fiction and la noir is also historical fiction mm-hmm. but i would say that the plot of this movie was definitely directly pulled for la noir um which the it, it's a it's a fiction story but it definitely is used and the name of the the vice de- the vice desk corrupt cop is roy earl mm. just looked it up i had to look it up yeah who is like stenson a little bit well, well kind of, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think he looks like uh, Kevin Spacey's character, but yeah, he does. Act and doesn't like Roy, isn't he oh, the I, I one who gets that. you in trouble for your affair that you're having with uh, the singer? Yeah, I believe yeah. I believe he has ties to a newspaper similar to Danny DeVito's character. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's like directly, almost directly mm-hmm. ripped. The only, the only thing, thing that's that, different is the serial killing. The, yeah, the serial and the killer. only thing they added to is Cole Phelps. Uh, he had a, like a, World War II. a marine background, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, a troubled history at Iwo Jima. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had, a, and Jack Kelso is another one of his mates in the war. And Jack Kelso is, I believe, the one who started like the big heroin thing. Yep. 
that was his tie to him. But yeah, so that, and I think that was, may be taken from other noirs. There's so many like noirs, and I think they just they just loved them so much that they pulled from them and made their crafted their own story using all these different borrowed stories. Yeah. So what's the Fantastic best? What's the best non neo noir movie? Oh, like the actual noir? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like what's like what's tough. the best of the best? Uh, Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity is on the uh, like AFI Top 100 list. That movie's really good. I'd recommend it if you haven't seen it for you guys. Um, what year is that? <sighs> who directed? Who starred? I believe it's Billy. <laughs> Billy Wilder is the director. Okay. Who directed LA Confidential? By the way. LA Confidential is uh, actually the same director as Eight Mile. Really? Curtis Hansen. He hasn't had too many other hits, but I'd say his other, his biggest other movie is uh, Eight Mile. Wow, that's I literally never would have guessed that ever. Yeah, but yep, uh, Double Indemnity is a Billy Wilder movie based on a Raymond Chandler novel. Raymond Chandler is like a uh, an author from I believe the '30s, but he he did a lot of like detective detective novels, a lot of. Uh, film noir is pulled for, directly from his books. Mm. Um, another one of my favorite uh, film noir is um, "Kiss Me Deadly." Uh, it's from the fifties, but it's essentially, I guess, a little bit of spoilers, but it's kind of based in like Cold War hysteria a little bit. And there's like a woman, uh, and the main character um, encounters her and. She's being chased by like the law enforcement and she's like, will you lie for me? And then he does and protects her. And she like discusses this car that has something in the trunk. And it's like kind of like Is it the, a big box of porn. No, it's like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction where it's like just a mm. like just a glowing thing. Okay. Like it's, um, it's full of gold. Yeah, but it, it it's directly tied to like the atomic bomb and like. Cold War um, fears, kind of. Gotcha. Very good. It's a very good movie. Um, no, I, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, I it's really definitely did too. In my um, top let me something. See what other film noirs? So bad at recalling. It's um. Movies. It was a super, super dense film. Like it could have easily been two movies. I mean, like it couldn't. It couldn't have. It, it's like it's very long. It's like two hours and seventeen minutes. But none of the, I, I I don't think it could have been any shorter. Like I never felt like that. Yeah, they definitely pretty much most of the information. Every got minute was needed. Yeah, every minute counts. Like they didn't, uh, it it didn't lag in the middle or anything like that. It did a really good job of uh, giving you like bits and pieces of information along the way, and then building to this. Uh, yeah, other other noirs I like. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing is really good. Um, I just had another one. Uh, uh, Rita Hayworth was in Gilda, which I mentioned um, earlier. That that's an all right one. Not my favorite, but just came to my mind with Rita Hayworth. Who was uh, America's Virgin? Doris Day. 
Yeah, not one of the prostitutes mentioned. No, definitely not. Although you'd think that her, uh, you know, prudeness on screen would have lent her. What? 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 What's up with this? Uh, this lady? Oh, she was just known for being, you know, not in any, you know, lecherous or scandalous roles. Mm. And then as America got more liberal, she got made fun of for it. All right, well, I think there is just time for one more thing. Uh, this, we kind of got to figure it out. We got to figure out a, I think we should rate this film. I think we need to kind of workshop a rating system. Um, potentially tied to our monster movie month. Maybe it could be uh, zero to five Draculas or zero to five <laughs> screams monsters. <laughs> I guess screams implies that it's scary and the movie isn't necessarily scary. No, not at all. No, yeah. Uh, so we didn't really talk about Kevin Spacey much. Um, that's true. We, talk, <laughs> we, we talked about him up top, but I guess we can kind of ask: Are we able to enjoy this movie even with his presence? One thing I will note is when he died, it was kind of satisfying. Like, oh yeah, you got you got what yeah, you yeah, deserved. Yeah. Not that Kevin Spacey deserves to die. Some might feel that. I don't. I don't necessarily know. I think he should be, um, you know, held accountable in the court of law. I gotta be but, honest, I was disappointed at how small his role in the movie was. He's the top build actor too, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I, thought I noticed that, I noticed yeah, that too. Like character. it definitely was not in order of appearance. Yeah, he was probably the third most prominent character, arguably maybe even fourth most. Yeah, maybe but fourth. he was the top build actor. And that's actually interesting because Russell Crowe and um Guy Pierce? Yeah, mm-hmm. neither of them were uh, super known in the they US. They weren't. This was one of their first Russell uh, Crowe, US really? films. Yeah, mm. this was one of their first uh, US films. And the, actually, I was reading, uh, in doing research for this episode, I was reading that they were kind of worried that they didn't have a lot of star power in this movie. Oh, wow. Um, Kevin Spacey and uh, Kim Basinger were like the only two. And they were concerned that people weren't going to care because it was just these no-name people. Hmm. Oh, one one other thing before we get into the rating. Let's talk about the accolades for this movie. Um so it was it was critically acclaimed. Ninety nine percent on round tomatoes. Yeah, it was kinda low budget um in how much they spent to make it, but it uh, grossed quite a bit. Um and it was actually nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Um Best Supporting Actress, several several different awards, uh, and it, it won two. Um, those being Best Supporting Actress, uh, Kim Basinger won that, and then Best Adapted Screenplay. Really? She won Best Supporting Actress? Yep. Hmm. Um, and then the film that won every other category. That, it won uh, Best Screenplay, too? Yep. Okay, nice. Best Adapted Screenplay, because oh, okay. it's based on a book. But... Uh, the film that won every other category that it was nominated for in 1997. Can you guys guess what film it is? 97? I didn't know this going in, but it makes sense. Sold a lot of VHSs. Maybe uh, maybe even twice as many Titanic. VHSs. Yes, Titanic. Uh, I say that because it was a double VHS, one of the first. I remember that. Double VHSs. But yeah, Titanic swept the awards this season. I remember and, putting it on and being like, fuck, this is the second tape, and it's in the middle of the tape. Now I have to rewind two things. Yeah. 
I remember and, fast forwarding to the boobs. <laughs> and honestly, nice. I was the second think take, by the this way. is a better movie than Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Pro tip. I I do think this is a better film than Titanic. Personally, I think I, this I think deserved I need to rewatch Titanic. Titanic. I think I've only seen I think the it's boobs. Definitely a better film than Titanic. But one thing that Titanic has going for it is a much much smaller cast. There are much fewer characters to keep track of, and I feel like I know their names. At least I know was Rose it? and I know Jack. Wasn't Titanic? Uh, also really popular just because of like the budget and like how like it was a big budget movie it was like so, a, yeah like a rom like a rom-com so 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 tim you can name rose and kate can you name two characters from la confidential the film we just talked about for an hour <laughs> yeah yes yeah, stenslin and meek <laughs> two very small <laughs> characters what about the main characters uh how about the main three excelsior and uh uh there's uh excellent yep yep played um, by guy pierce and douglas dudley <laughs> dudley smith yep um and uh, lana turner kevin <laughs> spacey <laughs> no, i don't know no i'm just I... they that was another that was another problem too is that like I feel like they ran into this in like that one season of American Horror Story. It's just all these white men dressed the same. Like they all kind of look the same. No? Nobody else feels that way? Okay. All right. <laughs> just no. throwing that out there. I mean, I, I, I could I could tell them apart. It's just a lot of names to uh Yeah, it's very remember. dense names and it's, and it's a they're fast not they're not easy movie. names either. Like like Dan. <laughs> like like, like Vossen, which I yeah, am not Vossen. sure if I'm even pronouncing it. Correctly. I don't even remember hearing that name. Honestly. It, it's spelled so it's spelled V I N C E N N E S, and I had to look up the pronunciation. And it's a French word pronounced Vossen, but it looks like Vin Vincennes. Like is what it looks like. Yeah, like Dozier. So <laughs> Brian Dozier, second baseman for the Minnesota Twins. For several years, who is um, the boss man who's like trying to mask an Irish accent and doing a pretty shitty job of it? Like the actor, D- Dudley Smith. Yeah, okay, it's Dudley Smith. Yeah, what's with like all well, these that's people? The character all, name. Yeah, but all these people like in America used to have like Irish accents, and that's like not a thing anymore. Did all the Irish neighborhoods like die? Well, this or is supposed to be the- 1952, and I think. People were more tied to their Irish heritage. Okay. And it, it just over the years has, you know, people have commingled and are no longer like, you know, pretty. Yeah. They pretty were adopted Irish. into the white, the white. Uh, well, and just they, you know, they have kids with someone else and your Irish heritage. They were just born here instead of get, coming here. Away. Yeah. So the accent goes away, but. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Um. I was very impressed with how well it held my attention being whenever I watch a movie that's over two hours, I immediately am just like, uh, yeah, any, anything over 90 minutes, I am in my own mind trying to figure out what they could have cut out while I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. But this one, this, this held my attention the whole entire time. Um, I did watch it in two separate settings, which may have helped, but I, I never once felt bored during it. It was, uh, it was good. I wanted to see where it 
where it was going because I, I knew there'd be a good payoff and it delivered the, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, the final shootout scene in the, uh, uh hotel the room was really, motel. was really cool. Yeah, I agree. Because it needed an explosive moment like that. Yeah, and I, th- I, I think I love the lead up to that when they realize it's a setup, and then you see the headlights. Yeah, that's really cool. From a bunch of different, like they go to run, and then there's a headlight, and then there's a headlight, and they're like, "Well," and then they go to the car and grab they a shotgun. They just cock their shotguns. Yeah. yeah, it's like, "Fuck yeah, last, yeah. it's going Damn. down." Yep. Yeah. Oh, he says a line to him too. Oh, he says, uh, um. You want to be like your father, or he says, "I want to be like my father." And yeah, he said, "You want yeah, to die like him." You want it. You want to die in in the line of duty, and he yeah, just yeah. gives him a nod. Yeah, that was a great moment. Um, yeah, so I guess really all there is left to do is determine a metric for how we rate these movies. I my vote is all I can think about monsters. is the, the the metric for. Uh, different types of poop but uh <laughs> <laughs> ah yes the bristol stool scale yeah no yeah. i don't know i feel like we need one to determine the quality of the movie and then a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether they get a free pass on the movie being good so is the movie good enough that we can separate it from their conduct that, i like that that's good um i mean yeah, but he had. And again, he didn't, he didn't have the biggest role. This is different role, than though. giving the person a free pass for rape. But he is this the is highest. This is like a free pass for the, the movie being well, it, not it, canceled. It, it, it's not giving Kevin Spacey a pass. It's determining if we can separate the art from the artist, and if we can still appreciate a film yeah. like this when it is tied to such a a man that has heinous accusations against. Well, and him. again, again, as we discussed before, given the fact that I think whether or not you can do it is largely dependent whether we'll want to admit it on how good the art actually is sorry that means that i think we are in a position to be able to say that individually for each one of them because there are some of them where we might not be able to separate it and somewhere maybe we can or at least one of us can i don't know if it'll be me let's find out all right, so let's start with the thumbs up, thumbs down. If we can separate the art from the artist, um, we will start with Tim. I think with Kevin Spacey, the problem is for me just that he's he's so good at acting. Yeah. I mean, he is he is a phenomenal actor. He's got a really wide range, although he chose to focus on his creepy side after losing a lot of his jobs. Um, but I mean, it's it's hard for me to not separate it because he is so good at acting in these roles that even knowing what I know now, it's easy for me to kind of forget that it's him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the the first Kevin Spacey movie that I saw after, um, you know, he was basically deemed to be a predator um, was Moon. And Moon is an interesting one because he plays a creepy robot. And what? it was I've never heard of this. Oh, dude, it's it's a it's a great like kind of like small sci-fi mystery movie. Um, really, really, really awesome. Highly recommend it. I won't spoil too much, but I mean, he plays kind of a somewhat sinister, like at least mysteriously like unsettling character in that. And 
I guess, yeah, that was a little creepy because, I mean, you know, you just, he's kind of a mysterious and unsettling man. Um, so, but yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with, um, in this case, yeah, I can separate it. Um, I think, I think he's a creep, um, but uh, I think, unfortunately, his acting skill probably helped him be a creep. The man's a great actor. Um, as for uh, out of out of ten, uh, that'll be nice. Okay, Nathaniel, can you separate the art from the artist for *L.A. Confidential* and Kevin Spacey? Yeah, yeah, um, I definitely can. I think he had a, a couple really, like, really like standout moments that I think only he could have delivered um one being like him laughing um going back to the car and that uh right after the the lana turner scene Mm -hmm. um that that was really well done also the his his death scene was really really well done too um and i think just the casting in general for this movie was almost perfect like every every I, i couldn't imagine another another actor playing any of these characters it was almost like a, like the the roles were made for them um however that being said i mean kevin spacey didn't have the biggest role in this movie so it is I, I can totally also see like the flip side of like oh well i mean if someone else played that role i you know that that would have almost been better because it it, it just wasn't uh yeah like it, it's not def- the most it important the whole movie yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this isn't uh you know the uh, the one you know him looking at the chick in the rose petals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, I, I really did enjoy this movie. I thought uh, Kevin Spacey did a, a great job. Unfortunately, um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know what you, else to say. You you give a thumbs up. You can separate the art from the artist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have similar thoughts and something that tim almost just touched on um it's not like kevin spacey used to be my favorite actor he was usual suspects is used to be one of my favorite movies i don't know if i can say it is anymore um but yeah he's a great actor it's you can't deny the fact that he's a fantastic actor and i think what you were nathaniel what you were touching on the fact that he's he's really good in this movie but it's not the driving force that makes this movie great. I think there is so much other, so many other people and so much other, um, things that make this movie fantastic. The stories that, yeah, it's just very well done. It's a good movie. I think I can separate the art from the artist. And like Tim was saying, it's not a movie like, uh, American beauty when the plot is pretty much Kevin Spacey having, um, like trying to get with an underage girl that has parallels to what he's accused of in real life. Um, so it's not as distracting in that sense where it's like so true to what, you know, he's accused of in real life where that's a great movie, but when you watch it now, it yeah, kind of has that a one different you can maybe meaning. Not, not separate. Yeah. It's kind of hard <laughs> yeah, to yeah. separate in the most obvious sense. That. <laughs> but yeah, I think that this one, you really can separate it. It's a good movie. I think it deserved to be Titanic, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Um, let's get into the rating. Oh, the rating system. How many monsters are at the mash? Um, 
out of five, how many monsters showed up to the mash for this movie? I'm getting the serious Yo Gabba Gabba vibes right now. Like, there's a party in my tummy. So yummy. <laughs> Wait, the <laughs> monsters are in your tummy? Well, he's a, no, I don't know. I mean, he's a monster in your tummy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's no. in my stomach. No, no, no. Kev- Kevin Spacey is not the monster. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking of Dracula, Frankenstein, mummies. Those are the monsters coming to the mash. How many monsters are at the mash, Tim Scallon? Um, I'm gonna go with four out of five monsters, just because I think it would be irresponsible of me to give five out of five when I can't even name the main characters. Um. But no, it's a it's a great movie. Uh, see, t- take your kids to see it. Uh, you know when they're old enough to remember their names. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I think, like everybody said, I think it really offers a lot of like the classic noir flair um, with some actors that are maybe a little more recognizable to us, and and in fact, maybe actors that weren't necessarily recognizable to our parents. So you know, that's it's kind of has a fun little recent acting history element in there. Um, Danny DeVito narrating really, really throws me off. That's just a personal thing. Um, but you know, I mean, but when we were kids and before, that's, that's we an were example kids, of not being able to separate the art from the artist. So. Yeah, per- perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. I mean, I don't know when. I mean, when and before Sunny, we were so. kids, he was always cast in these like gangster movie roles, and now it's just like I just see him as Frank Reynolds, not in a bad way. I, <laughs> I mean, I always see him as the Penguin in Batman Returns with the black bile <laughs> coming from his mouth. <laughs> the slicked back, super wet, greasy hair. Yeah, he's one of the best Christmas movies, only nose. only behind Gremlins, in my opinion. We'll, we'll get to that maybe during Christmas time. Oh, you don't think I already have something planned for that shit? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Timmy? It's called foreshadowing. So four out of five monsters from yeah, Mr. Yeah, Scallon. Yeah, the mummy stayed home. He... Um, had had an Oedipal complex. All right. So there's a Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy stayed home, a zombie, and Swamp Thing for Tim Scallon. And Nathaniel, how I'm many gonna monsters? Give, I'm, I'm going to give it five monsters out of five. This is definitely one of like my uh, one, one of the best movies I've seen. Um, definitely in my top 20, I want to say. Just just story-wise and uh, the way that it held my attention for two hours and 17 minutes is just a, a testament to how tight the writing was. Um, it was a little convoluted, but I almost like that. Um, I, I almost like... Uh, Twists and turns. Yeah, yeah. Very, very twisty, very turny, of course. It's a noir. Um, but I almost like the fact that I could probably rewatch this movie and understand it a lot better. Um, you know... It, it, it gives you a reason to come back to it, and I would I think I would gladly um, sit through this movie again. Uh, the, the performances are really good. The casting was phenomenal. The dialogue, um, in my opinion, was, was really, really good. Um, a, a lot of good quotable moments. But, uh, yeah, the, the story is uh, uh, de- definitely a classic in my eyes. So. And yeah, just, I'm like, gonna, weirdly relevant to stuff that's, has been going on since the 50s and never stopped going on since the 50s, but stuff that's in the news very much now and in the public consciousness very mm-hmm. much now. Police corruption, holding them accountable, and um, 
definitely the drive to resist holding them accountable from within some of these departments too and just the the amount of work that it must have taken to like write this script out because there's so many different characters and so many moving parts and uh i think that that that's something that i would like to like if if i rewatch this movie um i'll understand a lot more uh, like what the characters were doing in the like in the background and stuff um Mm -hmm. because it does really pack a lot into the two hours and 17 minutes yeah um and like a lot of story yeah like you said earlier it doesn't feel like there was you know fat you could trim no no it was very lean um yeah. Do you think that writers almost could have been of, longer? Kind honestly. of kill them off movies where the goal is to pick off most of the main characters. I think the writing gets easier as they kill them off, and they're just like, "Oh fuck yeah, one less person to remember dialogue yeah, for." Yeah, I bet no, it, I, I don't know. I feel like it's all planned ahead of time. I feel like it. Yeah, I guess it. I feel like you on. don't write after they're dead. You already have that planned out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it depends. There's just less people to go. You killed so and so. You bastard. Yeah, like how does this character react? You don't have to. Yeah, worry about yeah, that I anymore. guess there is a factor. So five out of five monsters. Yeah. at the mash, full yep. capacity at the mash. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right, so they're uh, socially they're socially distancing, which is why there's only you know five. Is monsters max, don't need to. They're capacity. mostly undead. I don't think they could True. contract diseases. They don't. They don't get COVID. They spread diseases. They don't contract them. Okay. I think. Swamp Thing definitely has one or two diseases. Oh. I feel like he's he's spreading shit all over town. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. Uh, how many monsters at my mash? Uh, I think that for me, I agree with both of you. I think we're all in a consensus here. Um, and I think I'm going to go with five monsters as well. But the zombie at some point um, was cut in half. So there's only half a, <laughs> there's only half a zombie at this mash. So oh, four, well played, sir. This is like the torso dragging himself forward on the ground. Exactly, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. His yeah. legs are gone. So four and, shotgunned a, him. four and a half monsters technically at my mash. Um, they can I, still uh, swipe you and down you, you know, in that yeah, state. Yeah, so the bite sure is still relevant. Tap. They can still bite you. Um, but yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I would say the zombie lost his legs because of... Around like wave 20, they get really fast too. <laughs> yeah. So the lo- the zombie lost his legs just because the how convoluted the story is. And I kind of did have a little bit of a problem with the ending where, um, where Exley like, isn't as focus on justice like i get that he understands that it's a gray area and that um like killing that cop like shooting him in the back i totally buy that but the part that i don't buy is that he's all right with decorating that dead cop who potentially killed his father and was this criminal as some hero like that part like I don't really buy that for the character. Like I get that he killed him, but I feel like the fact that he like allows him to go down as some hero is kind of not, I don't know. Did yeah. It, didn't really sit well with me. And just the I fact it should have ended when he rose up, like raised the badge. Cause it's like, yeah. this is like the new police yeah, department. I agree. Like, this is the face of the new police department. And just the fact, yeah, just the story being so convoluted his motivation at the end, I like he's not as focused on justice and more so about his career again. He's suddenly. not the real Batman. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Nor four, the real penguin. Four and a half 
monsters at my mash. So, guys, I think um, we're we've talked a lot. What are we sitting at time wise? Like four and a half hours or something? No, this will be hard to keep a new um, listener's attention. We probably won't. We're not going to get any listeners from this. Yeah, fuck you, people. But (laughs) if you stick around, the Patreon, baby. I'm gonna I'm gonna take us out with a great song that I think we can all connect with. And we hope to see you next week. Is it Michael Jackson's oh, Billy Jean? Oh, actually, before we'll see you on PlayStation. Before we do that, I wanted to a- I wanted to ask the question for you. Not sure if we'll keep this in or not. I wanted to ask the question of you. So next week we are covering Mel Gibson, and the film we have slated is Hacksaw Ridge. Fucking hate Mel Gibson. I was wondering if you guys Perfect. want to do Hacksaw Ridge or Passion of the Christ. That's a good question. So I, I also I also have a very strong anti Gibson bias. Yeah, um, and I'm thinking that Passion of the Christ will open up conversation about. Yeah, I know Apocalypto Jesus. was in was originally <laughs> was originally Jesus. on your short list for uh, for Gibson, and I was kind of hoping it was going to be Apocalypto, but I think second, didn't one of you see I've that? seen Apocalypto? Yeah, I said yeah, 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 it was it was yeah, it was probably yeah, yeah. him. We can't do Apocalypto. Yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, second only to Apocalypto. I don't know. Did you see Passion? The Passion? No, no none of us have seen Passion. Yeah, I it's mean, Passion or Hexa. I'm open to either. Do we? How long is Passion? Let's let's look first. Yeah. I don't know if I can sit through. It's just like a torture porn movie, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and then there's that one scene where the Jew baby looks and it's like turns into a demon slowly, and it's like, what? Oh, dude, it's like a super anti-Semitic scene. There's like there's like a ba- there's like a clearly Jewish woman it? who's Two like hours watching seven minutes. Jesus walk Two past. Hours Watching Jesus walk what past, and she's Ridge holding her baby, and the baby makes eye contact with the suffering Jesus as he walks by, bearing the cross, and the baby like slow, like omen transforms into a demon. Really? Yeah. I okay. I let's... mean, I, I'd say content-wise, maybe Passion might be better, just because Hacksaw is just going to be a bunch of shooting. You know. Yeah, but... I I vote Passion too. But is Hacksaw Ridge? Is that the one that that's Hacksaw the one the... Ridge is actually longer than Passion of the Christ? I think is Hack yeah. Hack Hacksaw Ridge is the one about the medic, isn't it? Yeah. Really? That's Mel Gibson in it. He's the director. Oh, he directs that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's Shit, got I some no sort idea. of yeah. Uh, he's, he's, war. Like the, oh, he's like the auteur of fucking um, Passion. Oh yeah, and he's no. The, I'm he's talking the, about he's the director Ridge. of both. Okay, Hacksaw Ridge and the Passion of the Christ. Does he, Let's do yeah. Passion. Yeah, let's Passion. Okay. Yeah, we will next week passionately do Passion. Fair and, warning: He does not play Jesus, which was something I thought. Yeah, for the he's first not. Few he's not in the movie. After that movie was out, he's not in the movie. So next week we're gonna passionately do Passion, and let's take you out with a song that is familiar to all of us. Hopefully, some of our listeners will recognize it if not you should uh check out a uh, gamestop and see if you can find it <laughs> god I, I heard this 
song so much because I would always like go back to the main menu and like restart the mission if I got one fucking oh, question wow. wrong. Oh, you you went for perfect. Yeah, do you have and to I do oh, that I've for got platinum, the platinum in that game. Oh no, I don't actually. I oh, for no. Switch. So better get going, Bucko. Dude, that game is absurdly long. Yeah, the game is really long. You know what? You know what other games? I mean, all Rockstar games are pretty long. Actually, I thought that um, Grand Theft Auto V was comparatively short to some other Rockstar games I've played, like um, Red Dead. Still going. Beat the main storyline. There's a two-part epilogue. Two parts? Yeah. Oh. I'm on. I'm on. I think part two of the epilogue. I think. I'm not positive, but they have you like do. Well, I won't spoil it. Cause you've actually played the first Red Dead, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. I beat the first one. Yeah. See, I, I didn't. I just know that John Marston is the. The main main guy, him yeah, and Abigail. Yeah. Well, he's hunting down his, his former gang in the first one, and then this is a prequel, the second one. Yeah, yeah. So he's it's, going it's really after cool Dutch, right? Yeah. Specifically. Dutch Vandal, yeah. yeah, he's the main bad guy. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah. It's, it's fun to watch Dutch, uh, you know, kind of his slow descent into madness. Yeah, those characters are so good. They're just super flushed out. Like, yeah. they feel... Pretty much all of them feel real. The only one that maybe doesn't feel real is Uncle, because he's just like so comically like drunk he, and shit. Like he like doesn't do anything. But and Micah is kind of one note. Oh, Micah Bell, where he's like constantly antagonistic to you and is like yeah. so clearly like poisoning John, you know, poisoning them against you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Micah Bell is a little bit one note, but. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Cole Phelps either, honestly. Man, but, you know, it's kind of annoyed me. You don't like Cole as the main character? It's a little too too much of a do-gooder. Yeah, a little bit. A, a little one note. Well, and that was what kind of weirded me out about L.A. Noir was my my only major criticism about it was that he was such a do-gooder, and then here he was just having this like long affair against his wife. Yeah, totally randomly. Was too, that, like, yeah, it was kind. It kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like they like, didn't yeah, do they didn't do a great job of explaining it like beforehand, except for that he was stressed from work basically, and he couldn't bring the stress home or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah seemed like an apologism. See you next time for Jesus getting nails through his hands.